Hey guys, Andre Harrison here, the host of Motorsport 101, and welcome to episode 52 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. And unfortunately, again, we've got to start this episode on more of a somber tone, unfortunately, as we've had three significant passings in the world of motorsport in the space of a calendar week. And um, unfortunately, one of them was just, what, 36 hours ago or so, as... um, we, we've lost Brian Clawson. Uh, Brian Clawson, a, an incredible dirt track driver, three-time starter at the Indy 500, led this year's Indy 500 for a handful of laps as well. And um, King, just just another, I think, tragic reminder of um, just how dangerous dirt track racing can be. Yeah, I mean, oh, just, I mean, I when I first heard about it, I was... I mean, I wasn't stunned that he was in an accident because when I heard of he was in another crash because he was at the event he was, he was he had an accident the Friday night and he walked away fine. But this time when I heard he was in an accident airlifted, I my heart immediately sank and I just hoped he would, you know, I hoped he would recover and that unfortunately didn't happen. Indeed, and and, and um, just like to as well, just like to introduce our special guest for this week's episode, Mr. R.J. O'Connell. He was a big fan of the show as well as a very knowledgeable, knowledgeable guy on motorsport as well, and uh, fellow American. So thanks, R.J. I know I wish we could have brought you on in slightly brighter circumstances, but I mean, it's maybe not the most appropriate thing to to, to mention, but just give us a perspective of it, I think on just how dangerous dirt track racing can be in the states, because I think not many people are are, are really aware of this. Well, we well consider that the sprint cars, like the ones that Brian Clawson made a living on for the 27 years of his life, have about the same power to weight ratio as a Formula One car, and they're racing all across small town America on these dirt ovals. And when accidents like this happen, there's not always the best safety workers. It's not always the best doctors. Granted, they are trying their absolute hardest to make sure that every life is saved in the event of a catastrophic accident. But sometimes, but sometimes it's just not meant to be. And I wanted to bring up a few things about Clausen. He was really one of the last of the throwbacks, these regular dirt track sprint car, midget car drivers who also starred in the Indianapolis 500, like way back in the day, like the kind of driver that some fans are almost begrudgingly nostalgic over. And Clausen was one of the best. And people will probably look on in a few years' time, look at his Indy 500 track record. They'll see a couple last place finishes and think, this guy was not special. Brian Clawson was an absolutely magnificent driver. His career untimely ended with him sitting fifth on the all-time USAC National Sanctioned Victories list, uh, behind only guys like A.C. Foyt, ahead of guys like Parnelli Jones, Gary Bettenhausen, some of the greatest names that have ever driven short ovals in America. Um, he was on a quest to do 200 races in a single year. 200 races. That is absolutely astounding. And he got just past halfway to that point. And he had already won like 25 races this year. He won a sprint car race on the same night as the Indianapolis 500. He did the 500, then he did a sprint car race, and he won it. And that is really a testament to the kind of talent that he had. Um, just as a short oval driver. And at 27, who knows how much higher he could have climbed up the list of the all-time greats. 
27 is no age, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm God willing, I'm 24 next week, and I think King is 23 next week. We both yeah, have I'm birthdays. 20, I'm 23 on the day this episode comes out. Yeah, so, I mean, we're still relatively young people here, and then 20, 27 is no friggin' age. Not, not in the slightest. I mean, he was just born in 89, which makes me feel old, and I was born in 92, so... It just kind of puts it all into perspective, really. And again, Clawson, I mean, we joked about him a little bit on this episode about joining the 500, but again, the guy's a supremely talented dirt track driver. And, yeah, you know, like, I th- I'm pulling up his stats from so far this year, and it's just insane. Like, the amount of wins he had just this year alone would probably be some people's entire careers. Indeed. Just... just an incredible dirt track driver, and you know, the fact that you can just hop into an Indy 500 car and just drive at 225, 230 miles an hour is just incredible. And you know, all the reports you 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 may have read on on the internet about Clawson. I mean, the Indy car community was obviously very much rocked by this as well. And I mean, all the comments you you've heard from people like Pippa Mann and and Tony Stewart, Scott Dixon, Simon Pagano have all talked about what a bright likable young man he was and you know just a real bright spirit so which you know just a just a awful awful blow for motorsport where that's concerned especially in north america where that's concerned so um obviously on behalf of all of us here uh, our, my, our, our condolences to clausen's family and loved ones if if there is something you can do you can you can donate to the usac benevolent foundation established back in 1959 you can make a difference and support some of the dirt track leagues and some of the dirt track races that Clawson made his name on. Um, I will leave a link to the website in the description of the episode, so it will be on iTunes, SoundCloud, all of those links, all of those places. You'll be able to find the link for it. So, if you want to give a little yeah. something back in Clawson's part, in Clawson's past, I highly recommend you do so. Yeah. Um, yes, just just so you know, uh, because of most of these dirt tracks are you know small venues, they don't make a lot of money, mm-hmm. and when when drivers get hurt, uh, they pretty much have to stop working, and they they don't work at the tracks. They have other jobs, and they you know basically race mainly as a hobby. And the USAC B- Benevolent Fund basically supports those who've been injured racing, whether it be drivers or race officials or organizers or mechanics. It it helps them. Yeah, so if, if, if you want to give a little something back to, to how Clawson made his name, I highly recommend you go out of your way to do that. Um, going back a little bit to just over, just under a week ago, well, we'll be over a week by the time you listen to this show, um, on August 3rd, we lost Chris Amon, who many regarded as one of, if not the greatest Grand Prix driver to have never won a Grand Prix. You drove over 20 races for Ferrari um, as well. I mean, King, I know you're an avid F1 historian. I mean, feel free to tell us more about Chris. But um, the guy was, from, according to everybody else who knew him and knew of him, he was, again, another supremely talented racing driver. Yeah, Chris Chris Amon, what? Oh, God, how many podiums did Chris Amon had? He had, what, 11 podiums in... Mm. It, yeah, he had 11 podiums in, in his career. I think it was 90-plus starts, which is, you know, a fantastic rate to get podiums. Uh, but he was never able to get a championship race win. He he won a couple of non-championship races, but yeah. that was pretty much the extent. But probably the highlight of his career is uh, winning the, the 1966 24 Hours of Le Mans with Bruce McLaren. Yeah. And it was 
in the you know late 50s early 60s it was you know drivers like chris amon bruce mclaren uh jack brabham uh denny holm who came from australia new zealand came to europe and made a name for themselves as you know big name grand prix drivers that you didn't have to be from europe to be a great grand prix driver mm-hmm. and yeah i mean he, he really was the last of those of that down under club that came into formula one at that kind of time and uh he may have been the last of his kind, unfortunately, well, at least in that era. You could say because yeah. Bruce McLaren was there in the 60s. He passed in 1970. Denny Hume passed in 92. And, of course, we lost the great Sir Jack Brabham just a couple of years ago in 2014. He passed away at 73 last week following a long battle with cancer. Um, again, I'd highly go out of your way. Um, Motorsport Magazine um, wrote a tremendous obituary on him. Some never-before-seen pictures as well. Really, really genuinely great read. Um, so, again, if you, if you go out of your way, check that out on there as well if you want to know a little bit more about Chris's career. He's great. Um, again, great, great, great work from the guys over there at Motorsport Magazine. Highly recommend you check that out. We also lost Jack Sears as well um, this past weekend, the very first British touring car champion as well back in 1958. It's a real shame Johnson's not here for this episode because I know he'd probably go on for about 10 minutes about how brilliant he was because we all know that Johnson is the touring guy, the touring car guy around here. But um, but there is there's one thing I know about Jack Sears. He was one of the last guys who organized. Well, he was one of the guys who organized one of the last like great car rallies, like the crazy, insane long distance races. He he helped organize, I think, the nineteen sixty eight London to Sydney Marathon. Oh my god, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yes. That How do you drive to Australia? <laughs> Obviously you don't drive the entire way, but one, I think it started November twenty fifth of that year and ended by it ended before the year ended. It it ended uh the eighteenth of December. They reached Australia. Yeah. I mean, they reached Sydney in Australia. That's that's crazy. My word. But um, again, again, our our condolences to all three. Um, again, we wish you could start episodes on a brighter note than this. You know what we're like. We we are, we we tend to laugh and joke and enjoy motorsport for what it is. But it's never nice having to open a show like that. Um, but hopefully, the rest of the show will you know maybe put a smile on your face. That's the plan anyway, at least. Um, and don't worry, RJ will be, will be giving us a lot more jokes because I know what he's like <laughs> already. Uh, Johnson's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be sacked in the morning. I think <laughs> that's how the song goes. It begins. Um, but we'll be talking a lot about IndyCar in this episode. This was this was originally meant to be a, the second show that came out last week, but unfortunately King overheated his computer about 14 times over, so he never got time to record it. Blame him. The takes were just too hot. Yes, yes. The takes were so hot about Target leaving Chip Ganassi racing, he actually melted his hard drive. What a guy. (laughs) He's going to be on All Takes Matter with Colin Cowherd next week. Anywho, we'll talk. We'll be talking about IndyCar a lot in this episode. We'll be talking about Mid Ohio from a couple from a week and a half ago, and uh, we'll be talking about some other big news from there as well. As, Ch- as Target leaves Chip Ganassi Racing after 27 years on the scene in IndyCar, we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about Mid Ohio itself as Simon Pagano won arguably IndyCar's best race of the year so far. His tremendous flight with Wall Power in the process as well. We'll be talking about the breakout performance of Michaela Lotion. 
before it all went a little bit tits up as he drove into the side of Joseph Newgarden's car. Although it wasn't really his fault. We'll talk more about that in, in time. Connor Daly almost winning the Grand Prix on another Dale Coin hipster gamble. This time it actually sort of worked. We'll be talking about Scott Dixon's title hopes maybe turning up in smoke after a desperation heave on Helio Castroneves, who still has magnificent hair. We'll be talking about R.C. Ennison, his you know, his, his IndyCar debut for Dale Coyne Racing and how impressive it was, and then the fact his, like, his dad is currently being sued by Sam Schmidt. Awkward. And we'll be talking about Carlin potentially being involved in IndyCar going forward as well. Also, we'll be talking about GP2 for the first time properly in a long time on this podcast. Uh, Sergei Sorokin won the German Grand Prix feature race on a two-stop strategy. Very, very weird on that one. And we'll also be talking about the rise, the fall, the rise and fall again of Pierre Gasly's bizarre Germany weekend. And we'll also be talking about just how frigging close to goddamn championship is, as well as a bunch of silly season talk and rumours about Formula 1 and IndyCar going forward. Because, hey, that sounds like fun. Who doesn't love speculation? So hopefully all that and a lot, lot more. And episode 52 of Motorsport 101. And, King, we've got to start off with IndyCar. We're going to start off with arguably the biggest piece of news to come out of IndyCar this year. And it's it's a bummer. Target and Chip Ganassi parting ways after 27 years of, of, of sponsoring Chip Ganassi and IndyCar going forward. It's a real... It's, it's a blow, is it not? Yeah, I mean, oh, God. Target and, like, Target and Chip Ganassi has been, like, a thing for so long that I, it, it kind of, like... It kind of just like lost my mind that they were like two separate entities in like IndyCar terms. Like growing up watching like Cart in the late nineties, Target Chip Ganassi just seemed like one thing. Like it was always going to be Target Chip Ganassi as if like Target owned a part of the team. Yeah, it's like it's like growing up with Marlboro being a part of the Ferrari team in Formula One. That's how I remember them when I grew up in the late in the late nineties, early two thousands with with sponsorship, it was such a prolific. Like I was, I was not a massive IndyCar fan until this, until basically last season. But even I knew that the the lightning bolt target car was always a thing. Whether it was Scott Dixon now, or Dario Franchitti, going back a little bit further, um, Jimmy Vassar, Alex Zanardi, yeah. Juan Montoya, um, yeah. Dan Weldon raced for the team very briefly. Um, just so many great guys. And I think Target's sponsorship with Ganassi actually lasted longer than Marlboro's deal with Team Penske, which um, yeah. was so widely associated between the two parties, Marlboro and Penske. Target and Ganassi have been around longer than that. They've been longer than I've been alive on this planet, RJ. That's what that's all around <laughs> That's the one they've been around for. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, they debuted with them in 1989. Yes, that's with an 8. The year starts with an 8. That's not promising. Um, but it's there's no getting around it, King. I think it's just it's 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 a blow for North, North American racing because this is arguably the most famous car in, in, in open-wheel racing in America at the moment. And... It's just not going to be the same for Chip Ganassi Racing not having Target around as his, his number one big deal sponsor. Yeah, like, I, I think, like, my first concern was, what is, like, what is their car going to look like next year? Like, I know they they do, like, run, they do, like, uh, a couple races with other sponsors, but you kind of assume that the default Ganassi is going to be 
at least red and white with uh, with you know the target bullseye on it. Now I have like no idea what it's going to look like next year. Well, consider also that some of these other brands that come in for these other races, they are associated to Target. Like, they're tied to that Target sponsorship deal. So you've got companies like Energizer, Coca-Cola, Clorat that have featured on this car for the number of years. They may not come back at all. There's a very good chance that they don't come back either. So it may just have to be an entirely brand new slate of sponsors for at least that number nine car. It's weird as well. I mean, Chip Ganassi is very confidently said that he feels like he, he, he'll have no problem finding a backup sponsor i'm not so shocking i mean if target like the biggest brand to sponsor an indycar team and the most perennial name in indycar sponsorship is suddenly leaving a series what and you know leaving scott dixon as a driver who is you know arguably the pound for pound king in the field you know is, is a is a pr man's wet dream always says the right things Classy guy, beautiful wife and kids, you know, full-time IndyCar Series champion. If they don't want to sponsor Scott Dixon, what hope is there here? I mean, that's that's not a good look at all, is it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it, it's partly related to Target because it, it it's easy for them to cancel their deal with Ganassi, for them to cancel their other naming rights deals because they name, they own the rights to the Target Center, the the basketball and hockey arena in Minneapolis, and also Target Field, the you know, the baseball field in Minneapolis, and they're heavily invested and those are very long term naming rights contracts. While with Ganassi, it's you know, it comes up every couple of years, so if things start going bad for Target, the first thing they can drop is the Ganassi deal, while the other naming rights deals, those are permanent. They can't they can't do that for at least like a good five to ten years down the line. And can yeah, I also so, say also that um, that Target has also had some some business screw ups in the last couple of years, like their venture into Canada that went bad faster than you could say yeah. Nicholas Manassian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 not a good look for, for, for Chip Ganassi going forward. I mean, I'm going to be very curious to see how that plays out. I think it also could play out and have a knock on effect on the rest of the team. I mean. We'll talk about this more later on, but I think this may be a, actually be a bit of a positive for Tony Kanaan going forward. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show when it comes to city season. But, I mean, it, it's a blow for North American racing. It's its most iconic sponsor, basically, has, has, has parted with ways with, with CGR, and it's a real shame. And I mean, again, I just hope Scott Dixon can find himself a sponsor because, again, Dixon is one of the most marketable guys, if not the most marketable guys in the series. So, going forward, it's a shame. But, uh, again, I can I hope Chip Ganassi and Scott Dixon bounce back with something fresh and cool next year. One can only hope. So, let's talk about Mid-Ohio here. And, uh, whew, this was a gem of a race, really was. And uh, I, think, I, think my, I think it might be my favorite IndyCar race of the season so far. I mean, like, compared to last year, I don't think we've had a, a race this year that really got up to peak crazy levels. Maybe maybe the 500 compared to last year, which had a couple of absolute barnstormers in there, like Fontana, for instance. But uh, I'll talk to the man first that just finished watching it, Mr. O'Connell over here. Um, Simon Pagano is back. May the good Lord help us all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Simon Pagano is back. He has been back all season, and he is, when he is on his game, he is absolutely lights out. I saw the race at Barber Motorsports Park in Birmingham, Alabama, for which he dominated for the most part. 
Um, mm-hmm. There was that section in that race where Graham Rahal could have made it interesting, but got impatient at times. But for most yeah. of that race, Simon Pagano was absolutely in control. And for most of this race, Pagano was as well. But I think the deciding point in that race came in on that final third leg of the race with his really, really forceful pass on willpower for what was essentially the lead of the race. And that right there is going to be a defining moment in his championship challenge. I think that may have been the moment where he seals up his first North American open wheel racing title. It's, it, it was incredible. I mean, let's not forget here, going into this race, Simon Pagano had a 47-point lead in the championship. He didn't really have a massive reason to make this play. Um he, I think you could. I think people would have been understanding if he had didn't. If he didn't make this play, take a pretty comfortable second place and give Power a few extra points and advantage. No, he went for it. He wanted the win, and it was an incredible wheel-to-wheel fight with War Power King. And uh, man, if like if if that that could very well be a title-defining move. <laughs> yeah, it could be a title-defining move, but. Uh- I don't know. For me, I'm feeling like he's definitely going to be a threat on the road courses. And Watkins Glen and Sonoma are going to be excellent for him to, you know, extend his lead even further if he can. For me, the worry is him maintaining that lead on the two upcoming ovals, Pocono and Texas, because the ovals are definitely his weakness. The Phoenix was kind of an outlier because of how, like, weird that race was in terms of, you know racecraft in terms of like you know the bigger ovals like indianapolis Mm. where pocono and texas he really stands to you know lose that lead and it's basically his championship title defenses how how much is that gap going to close during the ovals he's gonna have to you know try to maintain that gap I will say this. He has been race winning fast at Indianapolis in the last couple of years. He took pole yeah. Iowa. He's starting to turn the corner on ovals. He's not the best at it, but I think he can more than hold his own in those next two races. He's just I'm, in, I'm inclined to himself. Yeah. yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. I think Pagano has definitely got better, gotten better on the ovals. I mean, I think the biggest issue for him going into the season was the fact he couldn't really pack race. When it came to pack racing, he struggled, and he, he'd often got swallowed up by other people in, in those kind of tight, oval-based battles. But I think Pagano has gotten better. I mean, he did finish third in Iowa. Um, that was a solid result for him. It's a shame he got pegged by Will Power right at the death, in that, uh, at, the death at the end of that race. But uh, on, on road and street courses, Pagano is just so good right now. Super, super good. I mean, pole, I mean, pole and the win um in in this case and again just just a, another brilliant drive from simon pagano now i think up to, up to i think a 58 point lead in the championship now and if there's one thing i loved about this about the race and its aftermath was that willpower i mean pagano had to be lifted out of the car because he's been dealing with a back injury that he tweaked in practice he had to he couldn't get out of the car under his own power which makes you think thank god he wasn't in an accident because boy um, he had to be hauled out of his car by two people. So, again, this, this adds to the ridiculous nature of Pagano's win when he was riding very much hurt. Um, but not just that, that like willpower, you can see him get out of the car about 100 yards away in second place. And the first thing he did was walk over to Simon Pagano and say, well driven. <laughs> and this is two title rivals in the same team. They've been long-standing teammates for a very long time. Going back to the Team Australia days in cart. Um, so that's like uh, like mid two thousands. We're talking this. They, they they know each other incredibly well. They've been longtime teammates and friends. And 
Yang, did you just feel like the, the warmth inside you during that awesome moment of sportsmanship? <laughs> yes, I, I feel the warmth because I'm enjoying it now because by the end of the year, that's going to be gone because Will Power is not that kind of guy when the title's on the line. No, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to take a chair right to the skull of Simon Pagano if he has to. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, he will. Yes, he will because he's a demon around Sonoma as well. But uh, that, that's going to be a that's going to be a fun one to watch. But uh, it, it was a genuinely nice moment like, to have them shake hands and just say "well played" to the other one during that race. And uh, you know, the, the the overriding theme there was well, that was just racing because you know Simon Pagano very funnily said after the race, "Well, you know, I won." So <laughs> you know what? Like, Pagano's done this two or three times this year. Whenever he wins, he now says, "Well, this happened and this happened, but I won, right?" <laughs> when he crossed the pit lane line, and King, did you see his um, video on IndyCar's YouTube channel earlier this week? Uh, no, I did not see his video. Because he was doing, he was doing their new quiz base show, the one that totally didn't rip off F one's Will the Grid, but because uh, <laughs> Joseph Newgarden was on episode one. And Pagano was on episode two, and they, they left in a cheeky outtake at the end of the episode where they asked him one of the trivia questions, and one of the trivia questions was, did you cross the pit line in, in like Long Beach? <laughs> and he very sassily said, well, did Dixon do it? Or 15 other cars do it? Like, Simon Pagano is like the king of sass at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he has no problem throwing the sass at half the field, and somewhere Emma Davies Dixon just, like, punched a monitor <laughs> in, in, in just sheer rage but uh it, it reminded me a lot of Bahrain 2014 in in Formula One you know one of the best hybrid era races we've had so far and you know Lewis Hamilton and Nico Ross were basically beating the snot out of each other for 55 laps and you know I think yeah Hamilton did win the race didn't he yeah Hamilton won the race and you know he came out on top against Rosberg and do you remember the celebration king when they're both like 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 when Rosberg put the man in an arm lock and it was all yeah. friendly and it was like how how nice is this like two teammates had a good scrap and it was like yeah friends. remember before the narratives got completely overblown such fun times <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, it's it's almost like F one has a creative department Ugh, I know right it's like back in the days where like the story actually wrote itself and it wasn't like wasn't that just a beautiful thing like this. Two long-time friends of 15-plus years had a brilliant fight for the win of a Grand Prix, and they actually appreciated it and hugged each other out and said, well played, buddy. <laughs> I miss those days. I miss those days so much. We could have had more of it, but then they had to fight for titles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, caps, caps were thrown, and it ended it all. Uh, can we go back to 2013 where Merckx wasn't a title contender and the biggest issue they had was Ross Braun being a slight douche? <laughs> like, like those were fun times. Like, like, like I still remember that. I still remember that 20 that 2013 race in Malaysia where their second that's their second race together. And while Multi 21 is going on right now, in the background you've got both Mercedes fighting for third place. Lewis Hamilton's got the lead, but he has to save fuel. Nico Rosberg is blatantly the faster man at the moment, but Ross Braun refuses to let Rosberg pass him. And I distinctively remember on the team radio at the end of the Grand Prix when Rosberg's being wheeled in after finishing fourth, he says, guys, you owe me for this one. <laughs> uh, I, I had a feeling that race, that was, that was the race where Norbert Hogg was like, I want to retire, and I'm going to give Toto Wolf the keys to the Empire. Yeah, it's hey, like, you bye. Know, 
<laughs> yeah, like bye. I'm done with. I'm done with Braun. Toto, you got this. It, it, it's like it's like Toto. It's your problem now. <laughs> We've created a monster. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Those like th- those days were the best. Uh, but yeah, now we got that in IndyCar with like Penske with top three in the championship, it's as easy. they are wont to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Penske's now 1, 2, and 3 again. And it's actually still somewhat compelling. It's amazing how that all turns out. Somewhere one Pablo Montoya is going to be really mad. <laughs> so, yeah. He had it in 2015! <laughs> <laughs> it was it. one overtake on the final lap away! <laughs> Can you tell now, now, this, this year? This year he can't blame double points because he's 12th in championship. <laughs> <laughs> He won the opening race of the season. I'm so salty. Yeah. <laughs> we are finding out more about RJ as the day goes on. This, this is <laughs> like hashtag bitter Monty fan. <laughs> yeah. Like if 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 someone told you that the highest non Penske driver in the championship would be N- Joseph Newgarden. Would you believe that? I actually would have bought it after the way that he drove last season and I felt Agreed. like it would have it made immediate gains, and we'll, we may talk about this later, but how in the world did Joseph Newgarden get a top 10 finish out of the race that he had? <laughs> Considering what? that he had part of his rear wing knocked off early in the race, and then that collision with uh, with a lotion that we'll talk about, and somehow through all that, he got a top 10 finish. He got 10th. Yes, yeah. we'll talk about it now. I don't mind. It was it was an unbelievable finish from Joseph Newgarden to get tenth after you know still rocking, you know nursing the broken hand. And again, like if if racing was a matter of luck, like basically somebody had thrown a bus full of shit and had thrown it at Joseph Newgarden for this Grand Prix. He was already frustrated that he, he he'd gone under the the old lap record and still had to start from the second row because. Basically, Pagano and Power were driving Formula One cars this weekend. Um, just didn't quite have the pace to, to, to give Power and Pagano a good run. And as you said, the first restart comes in, Power smashes into the back of his rear end, and, 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 and the rear wheel and the rear ring comes off. Power not penalised. Hmm, uh, weird that. But uh, you know, one of those things. But again, Joseph Newgarden, brilliant drive for the to finish in tenth place, and. Uh, just a shame that he was so unlucky that, um, you know, despite that, he still managed to come through with a top 10 result and actually keep us off in a really nice uh, championship position going forward. But uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of little things to take away from this this race in mid-Ohio. It was that kind of Grand Prix where anything could have... Uh, anything and pretty much everything happened. And, uh, King, we very nearly had our first Russian winner in IndyCar. <laughs> oh, Yes, Makala Lotion. Doom guy! That is going to be my new nickname for him from here on in. We are now going to call him Doom Guy. I've been running with it ever since the month of May at Indy. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so shall it be written, so shall it be done. I now hereby call Makala Lotion Doom Guy. There's my gavel. You may continue, King. <laughs> yes, Makala Lotion. Oh, I... I don't know. There's something about Mikhail Lotion. I just love him. I just, I just love him. <laughs> like it seems like everyone else has started to groan to love him because they, they seen him as like, oh, the SMP bank backed Russian pay driver in IndyCar. I'm like, no, this guy's good, and he proved it last weekend. But man, he couldn't close it. He couldn't oh, close boy. it. He, he <laughs> had, he 
had to pit off sequence, and as a result, Lotion was the biggest benefactor of the of, of, pitting, of pitting off sequence for SPM. At one point, he was he was lapping as fast as Power and Pagano was, um, while saving fuel and tires. As Lotion pointed out in the post race interview, that you know he wasn't going a hundred percent, but he was still getting you know, making gains on Pagano and Power behind him. And at one point, was eleven seconds clear of those two. And you know, if, if a caution had come out, then boom, Oloshin's in a stupidly good position. Um, and he, again, even even despite the fact that he didn't really get a late caution till the end, he was still on track for what could have been a podium finish. And then he drives into the side of New Garden side pod, and it's like, no! <laughs> yeah, he had led a race-high 33 laps up until this point, until yeah. a caution came out for stateless... Future IMSA star Jack Hawksworth spearing his nose into nose first into the car into the uh, tire barriers, which was just at an awful point. So Lotion has to come in with everybody else. He can't come in off sequence. Um, and as they're doing his pit stop, his crew chief is taking care of his right front tire and then doing a wing adjustment. Oh, and he also has to be responsible to make sure that a lotion is sent out safely and not into the path of other cars. And hey, is that Joseph Newgarden coming into the stall at the same time? Oh, no! Well, and that's basically the, uh, what happened. I love that, that John B. Um, um, John B. Huis, he's the pit lane reporter, was, was live on the scene. He just goes, oh, no, 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 no! And, like, and you didn't even see the impact that it happened, but you knew what was about to happen, and sure enough, it did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you oh, knew, God. You, you knew it, it, was it was like hearing a car crash. It was like you, you can't see it. You hear the tire screeching. You know something bad's about to happen. Yeah, and next thing you know, they're fishing a lotion from underneath the underside of Joseph Newgarden's car, and it's like, no, oh, Mikhail, Mikhail, Mikhail. So unlucky where that's concerned. It was a brilliant performance from him until that point. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, Michaela Lotion, everybody. But uh, I, I, again, I, I, I can't lie to you, King. He is growing on me. Like, like I like the fact he's such a talented dude. He plays like four instruments, and you know, he he takes no shit. He his post race interview was incredibly humbling. He he completely owned it. Probably a little bit too much when it wasn't really his fault. His crew chief was the one that let him go, and he he pretty much owned it. He said, "Yeah, it was my mistake. I, you know, we were doing such a good job, and I made a mistake, and it's." It's my fault, and I'm sorry to the boys. They deserve they deserved better. And you could see he, he he was just like after he comes out of the pit lanes, he was throwing his hands up in disgust, and he, yeah. he, could, he was he was so angry with himself when it probably wasn't really his fault even. Right? Like yeah. He, like he wants to be good so bad, and I know how much he loves IndyCar because like just random McCallum Lotion story. He was so excited that he was coming back for for this season that at the start of the year he accidentally tweeted out a picture of his visa. What? <laughs> <laughs> he was so excited to be back in the very first race back he got into a fight with Sebastian Bourdais I like this guy already right <laughs> Mikhail Lotion if he was not from the same country as you know wonderful um benevolent human Vladimir Putin and we didn't have that whole America versus Russia narrative that still goes on even after the Cold War. This guy would probably be like a megastar in Indianapolis. He is aggressive as shit on ovals. He is just, he is really one of the most fun drivers to watch. And also, he's changed my perception of him in the years that he's been in IndyCar because when he came into the series, I used to think like, this mediocre paid driving Russian uh, nobody 
And now he's really, really genuinely grown on me as a driver. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's really put the, the reputation that he has as just being kind of an anonymous pay driver well and truly behind him. I feel like it's maybe only a matter of time before he becomes the first Russian IndyCar race winner. Just ignore that I also said similar things about Danny Kafiat in Formula One. We'll just, we'll just put that to the side. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, oh, oh. Kvyat was good, though. I mean... I like that we're all just completely upset on Daniel Kvyat's behalf right now. I think that's really endearing and cute. Uh, but it's like, I, I still remember to this day, though, was like just the running joke of friend of the show, Danny Brennan. Hi, Danny, if you're listening. I know he is. He listens every week. But I know Danny Brennan will be listening to this now, and he remembers all the tweets he, he made at the salt, at a salty tweets at Schmidt Peterson for keeping him over Connor Daly, getting a full-time drive. <laughs> <laughs> Those days were really funny. Um, he, he was so mad. He was so mad at Schmidt Peterson for, for picking him over day. It turns out that's, that's kind of been vindicated because Lotion's been really good this season. So more power to him where that's concerned. Mikhail Lotion, of- once known as the man who stole Daniel Ricciardo's Formula Renault title, has now become way more than that. <laughs> Formula <laughs> Renault 3.5 was really weird. Yeah. Clearly it was. Well, I, I, I missed out on some good times, clearly. <laughs> so let's, let's talk a little bit about Connor Daly, because uh, I know Brennan will love this part of the show. Um, hi, Elizabeth. Hi, oh, yes, hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> does, does he actually listen to us? I don't even know if she does. If she does, then she's going to love this bit. But uh, <laughs> We're talking about your boy. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, bookmark this pass. Um, okay. <laughs> oh jeez, but like, like there is like every like if you don't follow Elizabeth on Twitter at Elizabeth underscore Worth, by the way, highly recommend. Lovely person, great person to follow on Twitter. Um, she is the world's biggest Connor Daly fan. Oh, and, I, I've seen I, it. I've seen I, it during a race in person. She lives or dies <laughs> via the successes or failures of Connor Daly. Oh, and this race had plenty of successes with a with some with lots of moments of high stress. <laughs> Let's just say. Yes, yes, high stress. And uh, if, to put it into perspective, whenever, like, like during Iowa, when Daly's car was so bad, he was, like, lapped within the first six laps or whatever it was, like, Elizabeth immediately broke out the drinks menu, even though she's underage. <laughs> that kind of says it all right. Like, I, like I'm, I'm so sorry but, that I have to mention this. But in Iowa, she did break out a drinks menu the first time. Thank you. I have validation. I joked about this, and this was actually true. I love this show. This is fantastic. Like, I joked about it, and it actually happened. That is this, this is probably going to be the last time Elizabeth Worth listens to this podcast. Lizzie, I'm sorry, if buddy. Lizzie, if you're listening, we love you, I promise. (laughs) You are amazing, and God bless you for being such a hardcore Connor Daly fan. I don't know how you're still alive, quite frankly. Yeah, because Brennan struggles on a weekly basis. (laughs) He does, he does. But Daly was kind of all over. This was his first time racing it ever at Mid-Ohio, and it kind of showed because Dale Coyne were dreadful this weekend in terms of raw Connor qualified last on the grid. Behind, behind Marco Andretti in one of his usual troths. 
Yeah. When you're qualifying behind Marco Andretti, you've known you shit the bed. On a road course. On a road course. <laughs> on a road course. <laughs> on a road course that interesting Marco Andretti has actually won on before, if you cannot believe it. This has actually happened before. Yes. But that's not oh, happening yeah. now. Yeah, so the day you qualified Stone Dead last and basically did not pit when the first caution came out. So, yeah, you look at Yeah, they came in in lap 10 and made their first stop, so they were pitting yeah. off sequence the whole way. Yeah, off sequence the whole way through, and everybody on Twitter said the same thing. Ah, Dale Coyne hipster strategy time once again. Um, yeah, so they yeah. pitted Daly early. Get him in some clear air, pit it off sequence just to see what happens. And on the final caution of the race, next thing you know, he hasn't stopped. He's he's on sequ- he's off sequence, and he's five laps off of what would be ideal levels of fuel for a race. And Connor Daly leads in mid Ohio, and it's like, what the hell are we witnessing right here? <laughs> <laughs> Daily leads, uh, and you just go, well, Dale Coyne's been nowhere this weekend. Nowhere to be seen. And next thing you know, Connor Daly is leading an IndyCar race once again. He led 22 laps of this Grand Prix out of the 90 in total. And if a caution comes out, King, in those final, I think it was 17, 18 laps of the race, Daly probably wins it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It would have been... What shades of Alex Rossi during the 500? That basically, you you place fuel strategy perfectly to to what the race hands you, and you win. But unfortunately, that did not happen. Dale Coyne didn't quite go all the way with this strategy because they said he was underfueled by five laps. The teams reckoned that no matter what Connor could try, there was no way they were going to be going to be able to recover that amount of fuel in such a short amount of time. So they basically told Corner, go racing, son. So they told him, just go out there, just empty the tank, give it everything you've got. We're going to take a pit stop unless there's a caution anyway. Yeah, might as well go for it and see what you got. He did. He came out. He had the he had the piss off it with six to go. They, they brought out, they, they, they pitted him. It was a splash and dash. I love the fact they had the old yes, school. It was a bit slower the than they'd expected um, with Dale Coyne's high tech, uh, high tech set solution. To, uh, to telling their fuel guy to pull the nozzle out, just tap him on the shoulder with a broomstick, and unfortunately the nozzle gets stuck, so it all comes for naught. Yeah. Um, but even still, they did great work to get him out back in like back in the top ten. He didn't fall in the top ten even after that late stop. Indeed, the late stop. I mean, it's, it's about twenty-two. Tw- they worked out it was about twenty-three seconds for a pit stop in Mid Ohio. Daly, despite the fact he had the extra pit stop, actually came out in sixth place, right behind his housemate, James Hinchcliffe. So, hey, bros. So, Connor Daly ends up finishing a, still, I think, a very, very respectable sixth place. So, we'll have a great finish for Connor Daly where that's concerned. And, hey, props to Dale Coyne. They got it right on this one. And, uh, you know, again, they were nowhere this weekend, but... Daily with another impressive drive again showed tremendous pace up the front of the field when, when once he was allowed to get going he was gapping himself from Simon Pagano willpower and I know to be fair a lot of the field did have concerns about fuel going forward but even so Daily very impressive indeed as was his teammate for the weekend RC Ennison who who made his IndyCar series debut with Dale Coyne in the 19 car and King he was very impressive great speed yeah, great speed. It definitely showed in qualifying. Mm-hmm. The, uh, Attempt short making round two. Yeah, yeah. And 
Oh, God, I, I, I just love the opening line of uh, Racer Magazine's little review on Anderson's debut. Uh, the quote, as first days goes in Indy, as first days go in IndyCar racing, RC Anderson scored an 11 out of 10, end quote, Robin Miller. <laughs> Robin Miller is Robin Miller is the guy that will pat you on the back if you've done if you've had a good day and RC Anderson had a very good day. Like I said, he was a tenth away from knocking Montoya out of round one in qualifying, which says a lot about his level his level of speed. I know that a lot of people will tell you Edison is very strong at mid Ohio in his Indy Lights days and whatnot, but uh, Edison had had good speed all the way through. It was looking good, maybe an outside chance of a top ten finish until. Well, the car, the car just stalled in his in his second ever professional pit stop. Uh, the car just lost drive on lap 39. And up to that point, he had the fastest lap of the race going. And later on in the race afterwards, he reset the fastest lap, which was later then retaken away. But I, I watched him compete in Indy Lights. This guy is seriously good. He has an amazing progression curve. He skipped Pro Mazda, went from USF 2000 all the way up to Indy Lights. He is still so very young. I'd even argue that he's up a bit too soon. But even still, he right. did tremendous for a Dale coin second team that has just kind of been a rotating door hasn't had the luck or success that Daly's team has on the other side of the camp I think this kid's got a bright future I think it's just a matter of stringing together the opportunities and the sponsorship especially the sponsorship because <laughs> there are some there are some uh, shady things going on between his father Neil and his former Indy Lights team Schmidt Peterson Motorsports that involved unpaid funds. You tell him, King. Yeah, I I would say on on his talent part, he I would definitely say he came up a bit too early, being 19 years old. He just, has just 19 as well. Yeah, just being turned 19, he has literally at least 20 years left in his IndyCar career. He has he has plenty of time and I would definitely say it the reason why he came up so soon is probably down to the situation with Smith Peterson where he owes Smith Peterson money for his Indy Lights ride where it seemed like if he stayed in Indy Lights to the end of the season it it would have incurred even more debt for you know for the Anderson family to Smith Peterson, and and yeah, it, and going to IndyCar sooner would go, going into IndyCar sooner and hopefully getting good results would hopefully get some you know uh, prize money their way to start paying back Smith Peterson and maybe attract some new sponsors for him in Indy Lights. Very much so, and this is no small change. We're talking half a million dollars, apparently, that he owes Sam Schmidt, which is, uh... That's not, that's not exactly what you call back-of-the-sofa money, by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh... Yeah, I mean, it seems when you look at it like that, like him going, him debuting for Del Coin that weekend seems to have made perfect sense when you work out. Oh yeah, he's kind of short on money. So let's go into IndyCar proper and see if we can poach some money to keep Sam Schmidt quiet and make sure he doesn't sue us for anything. And to put uh, that into perspective, though, like half a million dollars for Indy Lights. Indy Lights is considered cheap to a lot of the other big European ladder series to Formula yeah. One. Like, that's a financially sound option that Ederson's taking, and his family is still short on making the payments. India, I know, I know to get through GP2 um, is... 
in the range of several million. I know it's, I think it's I think it's about five mil to, to make it through the season in GP2. I remember they mentioned it on Dragon's Den, which is basically the UK version of Shark Tank over here, basically. So that one of the deals was, well, could, you could sponsor our racing driver and you could get 40% of his winnings, which is a hell of a gamble when you think about it. But uh, hey, um, that's that's a lot of money. So Edison... Uh, Great weekend. Very unlucky not to have had a, a better result for his for his for his time in there. And uh, hope he can find the money because he's a, he's a talented kid. He's he's got a, a bright future ahead of him if uh, he can find the right opportunity. Um, other stuff in, in in that Grand Prix. I mean Scott Dixon, who is formerly been hailed as the king of Mid Ohio, having won five times in his previous nine runnings of mid-ohio he's a robin robin miller said in the pre-race show that scott nitson was going to lap the entire field after starting in the middle rows of the grid that's how good scott nitson is like if a far-fetched <laughs> prediction for brian miller might actually make sense you know that scott nitson is good not so much today not so much this past weekend he, he knew that he, his back was against the wall here. I mean, Dixon had had a pretty miserable week by, by the grand scheme of things. He didn't win the SP for best driver. That went to Lewis Hamilton. Sad face. Um, hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> hashtag blessed. Hashtag yeah. America loves me. Yes, note, we have a Hamilton fan on the podcast. I know, you're all shocked. <laughs> it's like in my, he's like eighth or ninth of my favorite drivers. Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> Fight him at RJ O'Connell on Twitter. Fight him. Um, but yeah, he didn't win the SB for best driver. Sad face. He goes to mid-Ohio. He he His team makes an error in round two of qualifying. They didn't run him. As the, I mean, the, the rain came down. They thought Dixon's lap time was going to be good enough because he assumed the track wasn't going to improve. You never want to assume that just makes an ass out of you and me. Yeah, yeah, very much so. As uh, the the rain was never enough to affect qualifying, the track got faster as it as it as it got more rubbered in. Dixon was left out in the cold and had to qualify in eleventh place. In warm up, he was fastest, but still binned the car for spinning it on the spinning it on the, on the penultimate corner. And in the race itself, he knew he had to get past Helio Castroneves to stand any chance of of, of winning this race uh, in the midfield. He was already in the wars of his own teammate Tony Kanaan and Alexander Rossi in the midfield, and then he tries to pass Helio down the back straight um, into the mini carousel. Um, and he tries it, and Helio kind of shuts the door in his face and wipes Dixon out. Yeah. And, uh, mm. I mean, RJ, I think it's fair to say, I think this might be the end of Scott Dixon's reign as champion. <laughs> right. It it may be because you think of Scott Ditson's prior track record and you also think of Ditson having to make desperate moves. We know Scott yeah. Ditson is a guy who is always the Iceman. He's cool and composed and he's very, very kind of he just kind of plays it steady and almost conservative to a fault. And it works every time. And we're seeing Ditson show signs of desperation to get back in this title fight. And it didn't yeah. work out for him. Um, so that was that was very strange. I think I think the move in itself, Elio made a reactive move, didn't make like a reactive move as a proactive move to kind of give Ditson as little room as he could down the backstretch to try and make that move. And Ditson was just going to go for the gap that may or may not have even existed. Um, he did run some later laps to kind of mileage out the engine, maybe try and make a run at bonus points for fastest lap of the race. Ultimately, it didn't play out, and Scott Ditson, I believe, has probably fallen right out of this title picture. 
I mean, he's now 127 points behind Simon Pagano. Even with a double point finale at Sonoma, I, I don't think he's real, got a really realistic chance of winning this championship now. And, I mean, King... It, it was very un-Dixon-like to me, what was going on there. I mean, like, Dixon was... was he pretty much committed himself to that narrow inside line. He, I, I, he said it after the race. He said he, he he knew he shouldn't have got into a scrap of Helio. He knew what was going to happen. And he committed himself to the inside line, and he got his nose chopped off. It's just very yeah. unfortunate, really. I, I think it was that... I think it goes back to, you know, Rod Miller's prediction. You know, the legend of Lexington, Ohio, just grew so big that it was basically like Steph Curry at the three-point line. Once you see him there, everyone's going to go at him. They're going to make sure that Scott Dixon's going nowhere. Yep. If you let Dixon through, you're going to see his rear end taken to the distance very quickly. So... Helio was, I think, was pretty much doing everything to make sure Dixon could not pass him. And we all know IndyCar is a little bit, eh, shall we say, inconsistent with driver stewarding. So, you know, not, no investigation for that incident at all. Um, they, they must have the, the Wait, inconsistency in and cons- subjective calls about driver standards? I've never heard of such a thing in motorsport. <laughs> no, never. Never. <laughs> This is such a hipster thing to be talking about, RJ. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about, about judgment calls for driver behavior. <laughs> Jesus, excuse me. You must have got some kind in my throat. Damn. <laughs> it, it was Scott Dixon's front end. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, yes, he did come back out to mileage out the engine, maybe try and set a couple of fastest laps. Didn't really happen. But hey, they mileage out the engine. He, got, he, got, he very kindly gave Chevrolet some more manufacturer's points. So good on him. Dixon, a team player as ever. And you can see what they were trying to do. I mean, they mentioned Iowa last season. It was that one bonus point that they got by getting Dixon's engine repaired and back out there in Iowa that led to Dixon winning the championship on countback that day. So... Every point very much does count in, in, the, in the case of Dixon, but I mean, it's I, I think it's, it's tough to see him win this one from here. Um, that, so here's the full race result. Simon Pagano wins by just over four seconds from Will Power in second. Carlos Munoz out of nowhere in third place on the podium. Another great driver, Carlos Munoz, I believe, I think is now the leading Honda in this championship. No, he's not, actually. He's the, he's the second highest ranking Honda. My bad. I'll tell you yeah. who he is in a minute. But, um, he's the leading Andretti, though. He is leading Andretti, which says a lot about his situation in, in, in the team right now. Again, more on that at the end of the show. Um, Carlos Munoz, great job from him again in third place on the podium. Ahead of hometown hero Graham Rahal in fourth. Had a very quiet day. Um, but before, Apart from that double overtake, he did round the outside of the hairpin because, God damn it, Graham Rahal is an animal. Um, also, shout out to his wife Courtney Force who actually was okay after that awful accident she suffered earlier this weekend glad to hear that she's in one piece as well so uh, good to hear that Graham Rahal in fourth place there ahead of James Hinchcliffe hey Hinchcliffe went back in the top five great to Toronto, see stand up your hockey team's still terrible but Hinchcliffe <laughs> <laughs> throwing shade at the Leafs <laughs> that one's for you Sarah <laughs> That is the definition of punching down right there, and then <laughs> that's like kicking somebody's kitten. What is wrong with you, RJ? <laughs> you, you mean man. But yes, James Hinchcliffe finishing in fifth. Great job from him there in, in Mid Ohio. Awesome stuff there. Ahead of Connor Daly in sixth. We mentioned him earlier. His brilliant fuel saving, well, anti-fuel saving effort really, and you know Dale Coin Tips the strategies. Paid off four there Hondas in the top six. Four Hondas in the top six. That's pretty good. 
that's pretty yeah. crazy. For, for Honda, they will take that standing yeah. up every single time. Yeah, especially at Mid-Ohio since they sponsor that race. Thank God. It did help. Thank God it did not end up like Toronto. It helps. It definitely helps. Yeah, Connor Daly sick ahead of Spencer Piggott in seventh place. I mean, that's a career high finish for Spencer Another Piggott. Another recent Indy Lights grad, the reigning series champion. He was so impressive last year. I think he mm-hmm. should have gotten a full time deal for this whole season from the start. But he's getting more and more comfortable, and I think this is a guy you're going to be talking about 10 or 15 years down the road in this series as one of the top guys in this championship, Spencer Piggott. Indeed. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't it like just two or three years ago and everyone's like, oh, year. there's not enough young Americans. Now there's so many yeah. great young, talented Americans. It's amazing. They're, they're all just rising to the top at the same time. It's incredible. Yeah, great drive from Spencer Piggott. His best in IndyCar today. Superb stuff from him. Ahead of above average Charlie Kimball, everybody, in eighth place. Again, I, I hate to mention this, but again, his episode on the Marinaire was so good. Like, Charlie Kimball is like the coolest dude on earth, and it's really annoying because we've made jokes about him all year long on this podcast. And, I, and he's like, he's actually now, I have to upgrade his nickname. I used to call him slightly above average, and I'm going to, and I'm going to call him Decent. Decent Kimball in eighth place. <laughs> another another strong finish for for Charlie Kimball in eighth place ahead of not now Sato in ninth who was was fortunate to keep that ninth place after King's hero and friend Sebastian Borders had to drive into his ass basically with with four laps to go. Typ- King, typical arrogant hero. Sebastian Bourdais from 2006. <laughs> King, hey hey. At least he admitted that it was his fault, and he apologized. <laughs> your, your boy drove like an idiot there. I'd expect that from Takuma Sato, ironically speaking. It's like yeah, that's, why, that's why when I heard that Bourdais and Sato were in an accident, like I just I just prayed when they cut to that camera, it was going to be Sato behind, but no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And your boy couldn't even bring out a caution for Connor Daly. God damn it. <laughs> This is all your fault, King. Why couldn't he have done that five laps prior? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I can't make Bourdais make his mistakes on cue. He just makes mistakes and they happen. <laughs> it's true. Like, Sebastian Bourdais is still so good, yet he still has these bonehead tendencies every once in a while. And unfortunately, these was one of those days. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot easily, for the crash. Easily the yeah. worst four-time consecutive champion in this field by far. Easily <laughs> Indeed, we me- we mentioned him earlier. Brilliant job from Joseph Newgarden to finish in the top ten ahead of Juan Pablo Montoya, who had another very mediocre show in there in eleventh place. <laughs> Sorry, RJ. There's no getting around it. Eleventh is not Monty standard. It just isn't. Um, no, Tony Canaan in twelfth. There, not much going for him on this occasion. As is Marco Andretti in thirteenth. Not such a strong day for Alexander Rossi in fourteenth. Ahead, ahead of Helio Castroneves who still has magnificent hair in 15th place. Unfortunately, he was caught out by a late caution. It was the, probably the biggest sufferer of that in the field there. Ahead of Chilton, Michaela Lotion's dive bomb in 17th in the pits, unfortunately. Ahead of Ryan hunter who just had a miserable time this weekend, despite making his first fast six round. I think, in, I think only the second time this season he's made the final six, which is... Uh, 
you know, there was there was there was promise there, but uh, yeah, another miserable weekend for Hunter Ray. Ahead of RC Edison in 19th again, great pace, just a very unfortunate that he just, the car lost drive on on this second professional pit stop. Poor guy. Bourdais in 20th ahead of Stateless Hawksworth, as RJ quite rightly said, he's he's corn. Cool I, I like him already. And Scott Dixon at the back of the field. Looking at the championship standings now, Simon Paginot is now ahead by 58 points ahead of Will Power in second, and it's a Penske 1-2-3, as you said earlier, as Helio Castroneves is now third on 373, ahead of Joseph Newgarden with 364 in fourth. With a broken freaking collarbone. <laughs> yes. Always remember your three eyes. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, Newgarden, again, just having this unbelievable season right now. Again, even better than last year he had his breakout. He's having a bigger breakout year this year. God damn him. Ahead of Scott Dixon. Is ahead of Scott Dixon? Dixon is in fifth now. And he's only he's got the exact same number of points as Tony Kanaan in sixth place. And again, for all the talk about Kanaan's job potentially going, he's having a very good season for what it's worth, despite not having a pole position or a win to his name this year. So It's Tony that grumpy Kanaan. old man speed. It's that grumpy old man speed like Shane <laughs> Byrne in British Superbikes. <laughs> that's that's perfect that's a perfect analogy it really is grumpy old man speed it, like that is the perfect way of describing it uh, Tony Kanaan's grumpy old man is keeping him up there sixth place and tied for fifth with Scott Dixon and we mentioned him earlier but the top Honda in the championship is now James Hinchcliffe with 329 points in seventh place he's one point ahead of Carlos Munoz in eighth place um, still riding off on that Indy 500 weekend as well, and he's ahead of Graham Rahal by four points. So it's the a, Honda Club. The, 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 it's, it's a line of Hondas with Alexander Rossi just below him there, a 316 um, in, in 11th place, and uh, Decent Kimball is there on 318 as well. Kimball very quietly having quite a solid year back there, unfortunately. Um, I have to eat my words on nicknames now. I have to upgrade him from, to Decent Kimball. <laughs> but yeah, it's Hinchcliffe 329, Munoz 328, and Rahal 324, Kimball 318, Alexander Rossi still hanging on in there, just outside the top 10 and 316 there in 11th for Andretti Herta, and then he's 17 points ahead of RJ's beloved Juan Pablo Montoya with 299. Oh dear. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the Veterans Club is like next with Montoya, Hunter Ray, Bourdais, and Sato next up. <laughs> It's, it's a miserable tie right there because he's like because then you've got like Sato and Michaela Lotion who's now got 243 three points ahead of Connor Daly on 240 who's ahead of Marco Andretti <laughs> I have to mention that that's quite funny uh, but yeah Marco Andretti is 18th out of 20 <laughs> like 18th out of the 20 full timers who would ever see this that like uh, you remember remember when he was Mr. Consistency last year and he was like still in title contention up until the last two rounds purely because he just finished every race in the top ten. Yeah. Marco Andretti is easily one of the most baffling drivers that I've ever come across. Because at least when Graham Rahal had his breakout year last year after so many miserable seasons, like he stayed good this year. This year Marco Andretti has just hit the hit the dang seller again. I can't figure it out. I know what it is. I know what it is, RJ. I figured this out. I know why Andretti struggled this year. I got it now. You know what it is? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it the indigestion? <laughs> I hate this man. <laughs> no, no, it's not the indigestion. Despite the fact his dad, uh, that's the cringiest commercial I think I've ever seen in my life. He's got. He's getting. He's gotten married. 
That, that that's it. That explains everything, King. It's that's my theory. He's got him married, and now the married life has brought him down. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, like I've always seen Marco Andretti as you know this jet set playboy. Now that that is that is gone. He settled down. And he's lost his speed. <laughs> It used to be the good old days when he was just trolling Hinchcliffe's girlfriend on Instagram. <laughs> oh, God, no, don't bring that up. <laughs> well, ex-girlfriend now. <laughs> I mean, before we move on to GP2, we have to, I've actually forgot to mention this before, but I'm going to be impromptu and bring this up now. How awesome was IndyCar on Family Feud? <laughs> oh, oh, I, I hadn't was... seen it, and I feel bad for not seeing it. I probably should see it soon. Yes, you really, really should go. It's on Vimeo right now. You can watch the whole thing on there. It's brilliant. Um, King, like, how funny was this? This, this was just all sorts of awesome. <laughs> it was like an IndyCar YouTube video with like a hundred, like a hundred times the budget. Yeah, it was just just blatant flirting with all the swimsuit models from Sports Illustrated that was on there. They were all trying to, to deliberately be douchebags on purpose. I only just realized how short Tony Kanaan is in actual shots because some of the women were actually taller than him. Like, I know they were in heels, obviously, but I just thought, I've never seen Kanaan be so short. And <laughs> he also holds he also holds Quinnadaly's face like a goat while he kisses him, and I think it's just the most glorious thing in the world. <laughs> Um, it's, 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 I don't want to give away too much because RJ has not seen it yet and you know you may not have seen it either but if you haven't go out of your way to see it it is absolutely hilarious it is brilliant they all are trying to raise money for the IndyCar Foundation as well um, it is Will Power James Hinchcliffe um, Tony Kanaan Helio Castaneda's a team captain and Connor Daly and they couldn't really have chosen a better five guys for that show and Shout out to Will Power for basically coming up with every crude answer you could ever imagine on that show because the man has got basically no filter. <laughs> None. He's too Australian. He's too Australian. He's too. <laughs> all the Australian came out in that segment. All, all, all of it. And the only tell- thing that was missing was him drinking from a shoe. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Like that was the only thing that was missing. Like like him celebrating the end of a round by drinking out of a shoe or something because. They were so happy, just like, you could tell, they were just so happy just to be there. <laughs> and that's what made it so awesome, because their enthusiasm was so great. Uh, I'll give away one minor spoiler. The end when they've won the main game, and Hinchcliffe runs over to the Insta swimsuit models, and he hands them all miniature versions of his car. That is just... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how could I lo- not love James Hinchcliffe anymore? <laughs> he is such a ham, and I love it. <laughs> It is absolutely magnificent. It's like, you, you, could, you could tell, because he, he broke up with that model, Kirsten D, and it's like, you can tell he's back on the market. <laughs> he's going out of his way to chat up the swimsuit models. It's glorious. Oh, man. Like I said, go watch it. It is absolutely brilliant. And thank me when you do, because it's, it's, it is a stunning, stunning episode. It's just so much infectious enthusiasm. You can tell they're just all just so happy just to even be on Family Feud in the first place. And I know Hinch watches every week he's an enormous family feud fan this was like basically like his entire lifelong dream to be on <laughs> the only thing that it was missing was hint shout nick a dram all i have seen that viral clip it is tremendous um we don't get that in the uk anymore we don't like we, we occasionally get these celebrity one-offs with vernon k hosting it in the uk but it's just it's nowhere near as funny as steve harvey in america it's just 
It's like the American version is so much better, and I'm glad they're finally putting it on Challenge TV in the UK because it like more people need to see Family Feud in the states. They just do. It's just so much better. It really is, and. Oh, it was it was so so good. And even if you haven't seen it or yet, go on IndyCar's YouTube and find the behind the scenes version as well. There's, there's also some funny gems in that one too. Like basically, Helio getting very very nervous about being on TV, and Hinchcliffe grabs him by the shoulders and says, "Helio, you've won three Indy 500s. This is a game show." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it says it all. Go out of your way to see it. It is absolutely hilarious. So. Moving on to GP2, and, uh... Like, the NXT I, I, I'm your, of Formula 1. Yeah, the NXT of Formula 1 at this point. It really is at this point. And, uh... I mean, I, I'm not normally a GP2 watcher. I'm a little bit too hipster for that. I'm pretentious as an, as an F1 podcast guy to, to, to care about the minor leagues, as, as, as many arrogant people would say. But, on this occasion, I made a one-off, and I watched Germany. And it was awesome. <laughs> Funny how that turns out. But, uh... King, the feature race was absolutely mental. Yes, the, the feature race had what? Uh, a Russian taking the extra pitch stop to win, a Frenchman getting disqualified because of a fire extinguisher. Getting and- disqualified from a po- photo finish for the last spot on the podium. Yep, yep. Oh, oh my god. Was- Artem Markov literally drove into another man's rear end. <laughs> Yes, yes. It GB2 is everything I wish F1 was. It's like my Dre Reef all over again. Like, IndyCar is everything Formula 1 isn't. And it's the exact same thing that you could apply to GP2. It was it was a brilliant race. And uh, my word, King. Sergei Sorotkin. Boy, what a, what an impressive performance to take that win. Oh, boy. Yes. Oh, the drive from Sergei Sorokin, who is also another person that I've changed my mind about, because he too was also labeled as Russian pay driver. Why is he a test driver for Sauber? Dot dot dot. Insert rich Russian teenager quote here. But man, Sorokin is quick and he is fast. And man, I kind of want Renault to like promote him to a race seat next year. If that could be a thing, maybe please. The problem is that they've got like 20 different candidates for that same damn seat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a problem. You know, they have, they have about, they have literally 15 dudes lined up for that seat at any one time. And Sorokin just happens to be one of their names on that list. The head of another man in GP2 that's on this, Oliver Rowland. We'll get to him in a minute, but uh, Sorokin, basically won the race despite having to pit two times and what happened was there was a virtual safety car out for an earlier incident i think it was the markov crash that caused a safety a virtual safety car and what had happened was it was a very close timing call here because the virtual if the virtual safety car is out in gp2 you are not allowed to enter the pits Sergei Sorokin pit right when the virtual safety car was deployed. It was an incredibly close decision, according to people in the know. It was very, very close. And it may have been the jammiest pit stop ever seen in GP2, according to a certain Mr. Will Buxton. Turns out, about 15 laps later, it turns out that uh, Sorokin had entered the pits despite the fact the virtual safety car was out, which is not allowed, and he was told that the mandatory pit stop you have to take in GP2, in Sorokin's case, it did not count, which means Sorokin had to run through the pits twice in order to win the Grand Prix. Again, unprecedented. You've never seen that before in GP2 as far as I'm aware. So yeah. for that to happen, 
and Sorokin, Sorokin still to win, it was kind of crazy. Now, the only issue that people have rightly brought up here, uh, guys, is that it seems that as a result of the pit stop not counting, Mark, like Sorokin never really ran on the medium compound tyre, the harder of the two tyre compounds. Now, was that fair? Because he seemed to only run on the softer option tyre and he didn't have that hard compound run, which is mandatory in GP2. Yeah, but I mean, his penalty, he technically never received a penalty for entering pit lane. He just right. got the mandatory pit stop not to count. So, like, if the stewards really wanted to be forceful about this, they could have also gave him a drive-through, which or, would have made the yeah. situation a whole lot worse. Yeah, or, or a stop-go penalty even for, for that pit stop that was going to happen. He said, yeah, you can keep running, but you have to stop eventually, and we will give you a 10-second stop-and-go when you do, or something, something like that as well. But uh, That's a little bit too generous to expect GP2 stewards to be forceful on decisions until they've escalated <laughs> uncontrollable heights. Where, yes. where Nobuharu Matsusha gets a weekend ban for doing something that's maybe like 80% as crazy as the shit Sean Galeo pulled on his best friend Antonio Giovinazzi at Barcelona at the start of the season, for which Galeo was not suspended for any length of time. Yeah, it's like, it's like these stewards don't care when GP2 comes on. It's like, oh, we're done stewarding, qualifying, now we gotta do this. Uh, get, get, put get, my, get, put get, my feet yeah. up, take a sip out of my Yeti Rambler, and just let the good times roll, baby. Yeah. Let, let's see what these young boys can do out there. Yeah, it's like, it's like, so, so now you're telling them to let them race. I'll let the intern handle it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going out for a beer. See you guys later. <laughs> yeah, that, that basically seems like that's what's, that's what's going on in GP2. So Sorokin had to give rid of bits twice and still won. He finished ahead of... Who was in second again? Luca Giotto. Luca Giotto of yeah, Trident. Luca Giotto. And, and yeah. Raffaele Marcello. Yeah, the hammer. The hammer in second. And uh, <laughs> and uh, in third, it was a comeback of, of kings from Pierre Gasly after... Gasly had an awful start from, I think, second place on the grid. He had a terrible start. It fell down to about 12th place. Um, had bounced back, gotten through the field, put off some cracking overtakes, and had gotten up to... Who was it in third again? My memory is playing tricks on me here. Oh, Marcello. Marcello. Yeah, Marcello. Yeah, it was Marcello in the battle for, for third over the line. Marcello's tyres are completely shot on the fun lap. He's losing about five seconds a lap to, to Pierre Gasly. Gasly gets up to him on the final lap. They're going through the stadium section. Um, Marcello has an awful run out of the final corner, and G Gasly nails the apex. He comes out on top. It's a photo finish. Gasly steals the third off the off, off Marcello over the podium. I think by something like two hundredths of a second, and then he gets disqualified. King, why did this happen? Ugh. Um, during the race, you could see during the onboard footage from. Uh, Gasly's car that something was clearly leaking into the cockpit and after the race they inspected his car and they realized it was the contents of the onboard fire extinguisher that leaked into his car so most of the race uh, his fire extinguisher his fire extinguisher was actually empty and non-functional and that technically is classed as a breach in health and safety rules and as a result Gasly was disqualified now the argument I'd make here is that if we've seen it on the onboard, this fire extinguisher has gone off in the car and it's empty, why couldn't they have given him the black and orange flag? Uh, it was a question on whether the fire extinguisher was completely empty or not. 
let's say there was a fire extinguished. I mean, there was, you know, an accident and a fire on the car. He, he could have still been able to activate the fire extinguisher and maybe there would still be, you know, stomach extinguishing left in the extinguisher. So basically the difference between him being disqualified or not was whether the extinguisher was empty or not. This sounds so stupid to me right now that this is a reason to disqualify a dude. I mean, I know it's in the rules, but this is one of those, I think, spirit of the rules moments here. Wait, look, look, it didn't affect his Grand Prix. He, he's finished the race. I mean, there was no accident. There was no fire. Let the, let the podium friggin' stand. I, mean, I, I think it was more of the FIA stewards putting a foot up after, I mean, putting their foot down after what happened at the other FIA event a couple weeks ago at Formula 3 where, you know, during the race, let's just bring Crane out on track, guys. <laughs> oh, God. Let's not... Let's... Let's not remind myself of that shambolic nature, because, boy, the less I say about that, the better. But, yeah, Gazi was was disqualified. He had to start from the back of the grid um, in the sprint race, and, hey, Gasly came back to finish in third. So, again, a, a brilliant job from Pierre Gasly this weekend. I mean, he's, he's really, really hit form at the right time, um, given the obvious struggles of Daniel Kvyat over there in, um, in Toro Rosso at the moment. But, yeah, I mean... King, if you wanted to get your foot, you wanted to get your your foot in the door. Now is as good a time as any, you know. I get about. Uh, I mean, I I think we said everything we could say about this GB two race. I I'm more excited for the finale. I'm more excited for the closing part of the season more than anything else. Now that the you know top two guys in the championship are literally tied on points. Yep, yeah, and I think. I think it was RJ that said, I think it's 32 points covering the top six. Yeah, it's 32 (laughs) points covering the top six in the championship. And I believe you get, um, hold on, while I'm doing, I think it's like 40 points you can get um, over the course of a race weekend without even taking bonus points into effect. So here's how it lines up right now. At the top is Sergei Sorotkin at 113 points. He is tied with Pierre Gasly and takes the spot on countback. Uh, Raffaele Marcello, who was a uh, bit famously dropped from the Ferrari Driver Academy, is now a free agent and clinging on to like the last hope that he has of making it into F1, is third in the championship, has not won a race all year, has not finished better than third, is still in this championship. He's two points ahead at 102 points of Antonio Giovinazzi, the series' top rookie, stepping up from Formula 3 after kind of being roadblocked there. Um, absolutely perfect weekend in Baku that he had earlier in the year. So Givenazzi's at 100 points. Oliver Rowland at 99 points. Renault Sport Academy prospect. The first true lead driver that MP Motorsport has ever had, and it shows. And he, he's doing a tremendous job for that terrible MP Motorsport team that people serve. I mean, a friend of the show, George Mullen, will attest to this. He, he spent much time in the GP2 race telling me how much MP Motorsport suck, basically. <laughs> While, while on Skype, and you know these, like, as, as RJ says, he's the, he's the probably the probably the best driver their team has ever had. By yeah, the like of they've been carried by Daniel De Jong, who, as of right now, in his fifth season, sits twentieth in the championship uh. with six points. If that yeah. tells you how bad things have gone for MP Motorsport in recent years, and back at the top bottom of that top sits is Norman Nato, who won the very first race of the season. 
Uh, famous for being the punching bag of guys like Kevin Magnuson and Carlos Sainz in Formula Renault 3.5. Essentially takes Alexander Rossi's seat in racing engineering, and it's worked well enough for him so far. Like, I think he's really turned the corner quite nicely this year. I think he may fall out of title contention, but this is still a lot more than a lot of people had expected out of Norman Nato at any point in 2016. I was really hoping for more uses of not now Nato this season as opposed to Sato, but unfortunately he's actually been quite good this year. God damn it. But uh, it's it's an incredibly close title race as it's going on right now, and the top six is incredible. This is, this is, this is without question for me at least, the most captivating GP2 season seemingly maybe ever since the series' inception. And having six guys in title contention is a tremendous advert for the series going forward. And... It's. I, I think the problem is of this is that one guy's going to win the title. An F1 seat is far from guaranteed, and if he doesn't get in an F1, he can't race again next season. So it's kind of oh, you almost don't want to win this title in some aspects because you want I mean, to take that super formula option that Stoffel Van Dorn took. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it seemed like that door was only open to him because he was a you know McLaren Honda driver. Mm-hmm. And even so, it just seems like it's almost counterproductive for this champion's rule to be a thing in GP2 when it's so competitive right now. And the F1 is not the most welcoming with rookies these days. I mean, we kind of had a freak year in that Magnussen came back and, you know, Jolian Palmer's back, you know, now in Formula One. And, well, well, you know. Heir to yeah. the MSV fortune, Jolian Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Lord Jolian Palmer, Esquire. Um, yeah. is not, but not, I mean, it, it's, you know, a bit, oh God, frustrating because GP2 basically has no room to expand because what, besides race broadcast, there's like no media coverage of GP2 on television. Doesn't help. And it says a lot when guys like Carlin, who are, you know, an established big player in that, you know, junior driver ranks is basically turning its back on GP2. And focusing more on America, I mean, they've, they've already spoken this past week about the potential, you know, ability of going into IndyCar full-time. And not so much just, like, being in IndyCar full-time next year, but also, like, it reminds me a lot of MotoGP right now, where I think Trevor Carlin wants that ladder. He wants to be able to bring talent through the ranks, because he's also focused about getting teams going in Pro Mazda in America and USF 2000 in the States. So... It reminds me a lot of what guys like Akiyayo is trying to do in MotoGP, where he wants guys at every level. I mean, Red Bull KTM, for example, King will know this. Like they, they have yeah. their, they have bikes in the Junior Championship, Moto3. They're going to be in Moto2 next year with their debut chassis. Um, maybe Enea Bastianini joining that team in Moto2 next year, which is going to be very intriguing to see how that plays out. Um, they're, so they're going to be in Moto2 next year with KTM as a chassis provider. And then, then, you know, he's also probably going to be keeping an eye on the KTM factory project next year, despite the fact that they've already got two established top-tier guys in Bradley Smith and, and Paul Spagaro. But besides that, I mean, that's the impression I get from this yeah. King. Do you seem to see eyes of like the, just the nature of having all the rungs on that and just bringing talent through? Uh, one random Moto2 note. I thought KTM already confirmed who, they, who their riders, who their two riders were going to be. In, wait, Moto2? Yeah, I thought it was going to be Ludi and Binder. 
I, I, I honestly, I have, I did not know that's the case. Like, maybe I just missed that story. But to be fair, I missed the story that Alvaro Bautista is going to Aspar next year as well. So, I, okay. like, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he's replacing Yoni Hernandez over there. He's had a wretched time of it this season. The animal uh, Bautista. <laughs> <laughs> The animal Bautista, who's basically sacrificed his soul for Aprilia, is going to Aspar next year to replace Yoni Hernandez. Aspar may very well clear the decks because um, Eugene Laverty apparently is fielding World Superbikes offers right now to potentially return over there. Despite having, by a mile, his best what MotoGP season today. He's been, he's been tremendous this year for Aspar. But uh, he, he might be going back to Olds to try and, you know, maybe stop the dominant Kawasaki threat over there. So I've missed a lot of bike news, to be fair. Um, I've um, missed the entire season. The uh, MotoGP series switched from FOTS to BN Sports, which is a channel yeah. I don't have. Yeah, like, no one in America has that channel. <laughs> yeah, no one has it. And to be fair, BT Sport is ludicrously expensive over here. So like, I don't have it live. It's, it's all in. It's all totally legal internet sources for me and MotoGP. Totally legal. This is this is totally legitimate. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, so, so, it's so sidetracking back to legal series that we definitely watch. Um, mm, absolutely. Carlin and the Road to Indy. It, it definitely seems like, Dre, you're making the points that I definitely agree with that they definitely want to have a, uh, a stable of drivers that they can go to because it seems like they want to, they want to develop a Carlin brand and have, have sponsors to the Carlin team and not have to worry about drivers bringing in sponsorship. Sounds like a plan to me. I mean, they've always been a very driver focused kind of, or, um, project, so to speak. And, uh, Hey, like, who could they bring up into their team, King? Do you know? Mm, oh, I've uh, got a couple of ideas um, no, as to as to as for their indie car team, like their indie car proper team. Ed Jones and Indy Lights has been so close and quick enough to win titles the last two years. I think he's going to get one of those seats. And there mm. have always been whispers of everybody's favorite Nelsinho PK taking the other <laughs> seat, or at least one of their seats. Because PK's been interested in coming to IndyCar, yeah. and he's had a great working relationship with Carlin, very nearly ran the Formula 3 race at Pal until the FIA decided to not be fun anymore. Um, yeah. That so, happened a long time ago, to be fair, but still. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that would be my first guess. We'll probably know something by at least like the start of 2017, whether or not Carlin is even ready to make the jump up to IndyCar yeah. just yet. We'll yeah. see, because I mean, I'd like to see more cars in IndyCar, obviously, and Carlin would be a great man to have there. And, you know, having, again, a legitimate a legitimate actual proper road to Indy where, you know, you'll see Carlin raise talent through the junior fields all the way up to IndyCar. That would be pretty cool. I mean, that's, a, that's exactly what MotoGP is trying to do. I mean, Cito Pons made it quite clear. He was trying to go for that 24th MotoGP bike as a satellite provider again because you will see the talent he's had nurtured in those teams the last two or three years with Maverick Vinales and... Um, Driven for the the best name in MotoGP by far, Maverick Vinales. Oh yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful yeah, when, when, Maverick. when your name's Maverick, you better be quick. Thankfully, he is. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Maverick, yeah, Maverick Vinales and Tito Rabat has come through that academy group. Tito, and obviously, rest in peace, Luis Salom came through there as a top tier rider in Moto3. They've had quality names run through that camp all the way through. 
Same with Leopard, with them, new Moto 2 project this year, which has been <coughs> awful. <coughs> um, all kinds of awful with Danny Kent and Miguel Oliveira at the front, and uh, Kent's seemingly, well, remember, remember when he was world champion last year, King? That was, that, yes. that was, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, that was fun times, fun times. The, the, closing, the closing races, a bit heart-stopping. Britain kind of, you know, boiled over a bit, but they calmed down, which yeah. is good to see. Yeah, yeah. Those are fun days. I mean, one podium in both of their teams combined this year. And the podium. But I know one of the things that Carlin was talking about, which was on the fence on whether they'd go up to the big cars or not, was IndyCar's, I don't know, I would say idea that they would have a new chassis every, what, six or seven years that, so basically the the DW12 would be retired at the end of the 2017 season. That's interesting. Hmm. They've had plans to introduce a new car for 2018 for the last number of years, but we still don't know what it's going to be like. Will it have aero kits for manufacturers? Um, Will the engine specification change? Who knows? Yeah, which Trevor Carlin does not like at all, because you don't want to buy a DW12 for the 2017 seasons, and basically, within a year, it's obsolete. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a very smart business decision to buy a car, only for it to be made redundant 18 months later. Um, yeah, so that's going to be interesting to see where that plays out. But again, I would love to see Carlin in, in, in IndyCar one day. Again, the, the, the field needs more cars, and... Um, especially on the oval rounds, in my opinion. So I, I would love to see more of that in the future. So again, I hope Carlin um, can find a way to get it done. I'd like to see that happen. I mean, it'll be very, very exciting indeed. So to wrap up this this week's episode, let's let's speculate because that's always fun. Who doesn't love a good bit of speculation outside of Scott? Who loves a good bit of speculation? Ah, oh, shit! I gotta pay. I gotta pay Radio Show Limited fifteen dollars for the use of that term. Damn it! <laughs> oh, really? But spec. Speculation is what keeps our economy going. Right. <laughs> what, what what would the internet motorsport landscape be without speculation and hot takes and accusations of being social justice warriors? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hate my job, clearly. Um, but yet here we are, dancing around the idea of speculating what's going to happen. So let's go to Formula One first. Let's get that one out of the way. Now... It's there's not actually as many confirmed seats for 2017 as yeah. we thought. Yeah, as Mercedes are I'll, good, I'll, Ferrari I'll, are good, Red Bull are good, yeah. but everything else is just kind of ooh. Yeah, yeah top, I'll, I'll run it down. Okay. Okay. I'll run it down. Both the Williams seats are yet to be confirmed. Uh, uh, Force India has only confirmed Nico Hulkenberg. McLaren has only confirmed Fernando Alonso. Toro Rosso has only confirmed Carlos Sainz Jr., but that also has a question mark alongside it. Uh, uh, Haas has yet to confirm either driver, as well as Renault, Sauber, and Manor. So, that's the state of play as of August 9th. Now, the top three teams, are, if I'm even under contract, I don't think are going to mess anything up. They, we know the Hamilton-Rosberg situation is as beautiful and glorious a relationship and harmonious as it possibly could be. We know that Ferrari, as much as everybody wants Raikkonen gone, he's actually been pretty good this year, so sod it. We all know Raikkonen's going to be around for at least one more year alongside the motherload Sebastian Vettel. Um, Red Bull have got their best ever driver lineup according to Christian Horner, so they're not going to change that around. Um... Williams is probably where this is going to start now. Now, 
Claire Williams has actually now made it no secret they want Jensen Button for next year. They want, I mean... Jensen's me- coming home. Jensen's coming home. <laughs> to his first F1 team from who loaned him out to Renault, and then he signed for British American Racing, which then became Honda, while he was still under loan from Williams. Yeah, this was back in 2000. When Jensen, like, this is Jensen Button's 17th season in Formula 1. Now. Jensen Button is old now. He is the old man of the paddock. Remember when Jensen Button was arguably too young to race in Formula 1? Yeah, he was the, you know, the playboy. Yeah, he was the playboy. He was dating that chick from Fame Academy. And, you know, he and was, now he is the example of class and decorum he, and maturity. Yes. Now, now he's the elder statesman of the grid. He's the elder statesman. He's the classy one. He's the guy that everybody kind of likes. So you can't ever say a bad word about JB. He's got just enough sass to keep us all going. And he's 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 the gem in F1. You know, he never says anything that will piss you off. He's just such a gentleman. And you but know, he, he can't keep- dunk an Oreo and Coca Cola while doing the splits. No, what a shame. <laughs> oh <laughs> what a my god. word! What, what what a god! <laughs> what a goddamn shame that is. So. Jensen Button, like, isn't like Claire Williams has made no secret. They want JB for next year, which again can't be a good feeling to know if you're Valtteri Bottas or Felipe Massa at the moment. And I don't want to be that speculative guy here, but I've got no choice. Felipe Massa has swapped helmets with two dudes in the last week. One one is his longtime two and a half men co-star Daniel Ricciardo. The other one was Sergio Perez. Um Maybe you could make the case he might be retiring with the with all this helmet collecting he's doing right now. Uh, I, I don't know. Felipe Massa to me has already played the oh I'm gonna retire card when he left from Ferrari. Ferrari gave him like that big farewell thing. He, he did with a trophy with all his race wins, and he still stayed in F1. It's like ah, I'm going to Williams now, where all eldest F1 statesmen end up eventually. Um, right. Yeah, I mean Massa. He's still doing an okay job over there. He's only a little bit slower than Valtteri Bottas, who all his hype has effectively died died by now. I will say, though, that there is a rumor that is brewing, though it is from GMM, so take it with as many grains of salt as you can, that (laughs) Renault are interested in giving uh, Bottas a drive for next year as as yet another player in the Renault driver market for 2017. which is amazing when you consider motorsport.com said that Renault wants a charismatic driver and they're going for Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> Hashtag Bottas! <laughs> with, with, with the 77 representing T's, of course. Very, you know, the, the proper James Bond-esque kind of Bottas. Hashtag, hashtag Bo77S. Yes, yes, that's the one. And uh, yeah, so Renault apparently want a charismatic lead driver, so of course they're going off the Valtteri Bottas, who has less character than I think any driver in the field. <laughs> well, oh dear. But I mean, again, I mean, like what Williams do will, will, I think, will ultimately shape this driver market. I think. I mean, the more I think about it, I, the more I reckon they're going to clear the decks. They're going to have a totally new lineup for the year. I reckon. Um, so the question is now, if they go get Button for the first seat and they clear the decks, who gets the second? Will it be Alex Lynn, who just won the most recent sprint race in GP2, or will it be the guy who's probably going to win the Formula 3 championship in about, uh, I don't know, three races, Lance Stroll? Both of mm. them are under their wing of development. Uh, both guys, I feel, are Formula One caliber talents, despite what any idiot on Twitter says about Stroll's <laughs> um, wild streaks, which are like 99% exaggerated. 
the guy mm-hmm. is Formula One caliber. They're both great, yes. but only one of them gets the seat. Yeah, like the hard choice is... So, yeah, it, it really is down to Lynn or Stroll. I mean, Lynn has a case. He already told the press all he wants is just a shot at that race seat. And when he won that sprint race, the first person to, you know, greet him in the paddock afterwards was Claire. Oh, yeah. She, she was getting right up in there for some hugs. Like, imagine, like <laughs> I, I, I did a caption competition on Twitter, and the number one winner for that picture was, sorry, sorry, mate, we're going with Jensen. <laughs> <laughs> But, but but thanks for your service. I mean, we we really appreciate all those uh, caps you signed. Um, I mean, Lance Stroll has has had a tremendous time in Formula Three this year. He has had a tremendous season, and I mean, again, way to put yourself in the shop window for an F one seat. I mean, again, Lance Stroll was was the comic book kind of you know joke character here, but it turns out he's actually having a tremendous time in Formula Three right now, and uh, that could be interesting. First, he won his very first two single-seater championships right out of karting. I've always yeah. been a proponent of his talent. I think it mm-hmm. is a matter of time before he gets there, and it also helps that his uncle helped build Michael Kors into a fashion dynasty in recent years, so he's had a little bit of scratch on his side. <laughs> it, it, it helps. I can't lie. It certainly helps. So that's one way of looking at the situation. I mean, if do Williams keep one, keep both of their drivers? I mean, it, it's looking increasingly like they're going to get rid of at least one guy. And if they're, if they're going to get rid of one person, it will be Massa, without question. Um, and if they do, do they go Academy? Do they go for a big free agent name like Jensen Button, who, again, whose contract expires at the end of the season at McLaren? Or do McLaren make a play to keep him? As you know, like because McLaren is another interesting element here in all this because it, in McLaren it's more obvious. It's either Button or Van Dorn. It's as simple as that. We all know Alonso is confirmed for next year already, but does does like for me, King? I think it's almost like McLaren are betting against themselves here. Do 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 they think they have a championship winning car next year? And if the answer is no, surely you've got to go Stoffel Van Dorn, right? I mean. Even if the answer is yes, how long can you keep Stoffel complacent in Super Formula? I mean, he's, he's, he's what, he's 25 this year, isn't he? He's won yeah. everything there is to win before he gets up to, before he gets up to Formula One. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm certain that Stoffel has said in the press that he, you know, he would look for options elsewhere if McLaren isn't offering. As yeah. he should. Yeah, yeah. He'll be 25 the first weekend of next season. He'll be 25 years old. He's no longer the young talent anymore. He's now a legitimate, really good racing driver that has basically been destined for Formula 1 for about five years now and still isn't in there yet. I mean... I don't see how long McLaren, how much longer, how much longer McLaren can fuck around with him anymore. It's like McLaren, you've got to make a call. Put him in the seat now, or let him go. You can't, you can't tell him to sit sit down for another year of Alonso and Button. Surely, Aaron Rodgers oh. could only stay so long behind Brett Favre <laughs> before they decided to just kind of ease Favre out the door. Yes, and. You know, Jensen Button has already taken one pay cut to keep his job. I mean, we all saw that very awkward Abu Dhabi meeting between Dennis and Button last year because McLaren left it right until the eleventh hour to announce his driver lineup for twenty for twenty for twenty sixteen. Hey, but I, but Dre, I've said this in the past. We live in the era of these large budget Formula One teams having massive driver academies to 
essentially hoard talent for that one eventual day down the road that your, you know, reliable, above-average driver finally retires. Yep, and Button is showing no signs of that. And then Button is, if anything, Button has been really frigging good the last two or three rounds as well, outperforming after the established £30 million uh, trophy ornament that is Fernando Alonso at this point. <laughs> And you know, Button is 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 like Button is still good enough to be here. Like he was excellent in Austria. He was excellent again here in Germany, getting in the points and just you know actually showing that McLaren is actually legitimately getting better uh, as well. So I mean, on current ability, Button I think is still more than good enough to be here. The issue is is that three into two just doesn't go here. Yeah. Um, Van Dorn, again, his one race he had this year in Bahrain, he was excellent. He's always been strong around Bahrain and, again, scored McLaren's first point of the year. And what do you do? Do you, do you, do you keep Button around or do you give Van Dorn the chance? You I let mean, Button come home and you let Van Dorn come to Formula One with McLaren. That's what I would do. I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't, think, the, I don't think the drop-off is that big between Button and Van Dorn, if there's a drop-off at all, quite frankly. So... Like, if Button, if Williams want to sign Button, don't stand in his way. Let him go. You've got your second guy. I mean, McLaren's in a win-win here either way, really. If, if Stoffel Van Dorn is the guy that most internet hardcores have been dying to see drive a Formula 1 car properly for about five years now. Back in the day Sim racing was... legend, Stoffel Van Dorn. Never forget. <laughs> Never Formula forget. Formula Sim racing legend, Stoffel Van Dorn, and the McLaren Driver Academy. Like, King, do you remember the days when Woodwiss was, was around all the time and he would talk about how Kevin Magnussen and Stoffel Van Dorn would eventually be the McLaren team one day? Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> he, only, he, he probably only got one half of that equation right, but... Well, kind of. But yeah, Formula, like, his, like, Formula FS, like, Formula Sim racing being, like, a feeder series for F1 kind of is a half-truth now. Yeah, it's a half truth, I guess. I guess. I guess. I guess. kind of works, I suppose. So, that that that's one way of looking at it from the McLaren end of of, of things. Then you've got Manor and Manor, who Pascal Verline again having a, a, a sensational season over there for Manor. Manor scoring only their second ever point scoring performance in Austria. Uh, you know, again, everybody is very high on Verline right now. Um, again, doing a tremendous job. Harry Anto is apparently His out name of is Rio, and he's run flush out of cash! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, American racing legend Rio Harry Anto may not have the funds <laughs> to keep that ride um, through the rest of this season, and now it's looking like Mercedes want to put their other young driver, Esteban Acone, in, so Manor essentially becomes the Mercedes junior team for the rest of this season. This is where it's leaning right now. Nothing's confirmed yet, but it's a pretty strong possibility that Ocon will see the rest of the season out, at least the Belgian Grand Prix for Manor, which would get me immediately back on the Manor racing hype wagon. You know, like, one of the things that I've, like, Notice from Toto Wolf in his interviews that he's very high on his driver academy. And yes. one of the things he's worried about is Esteban Ocon being snatched away from Mercedes to Renault, which seems like a possibility, to be honest. It does, because, I mean, if you're Esteban Ocon, you've got to look above you and say, well, Hamilton's only 31. Rosberg just turned 31. They could both easily still be that Mercedes team for another four or five seasons. And despite... 117 feuds between Hamilton and Rosberg, and even more narratives between them. 
They still haven't pulled the trigger on either of them as talents. You've got to be sitting there thinking, I'm never going to drive for this team full time. If that was me, that would be in the back of my head thinking that right now. And for me, I think Renault presents a much bigger open goal in terms of opportunities in the long run than Mercedes does. Because I think, I think for me, the McLaren driver of the future is Pascal Wehrlein and not him. That, 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 that's, what I, that's what I worry about of Ocon, especially given he's not been as good as, uh, as Pascal was in DTM this year. Oh, no. I mean, don't, lo- don't look up Esteban Ocon's DTM stats. You will, oh you will feel sad. And then you must remember that this is the guy who beat Max Verstappen as a rookie in Formula 3 and then went on to win the GP3 Series title the very next year. The guy is great. I rate him higher than Verline, honestly, but I don't think he's going to get a Mercedes shot. But with Renault, it could be a really good chance for him to jump into a top team and take the fight once again to guys like his old F3 rival Verstappen. And he's yeah, French. <laughs> yeah, and he's French. That's like the number one headline for Renault. Like, French drive, we need him now. Yes, we need him now. Get get the Frenchman to spearhead the brand. Think of the brand here, people. And yeah, absolutely. And I think Esteban Ocon. I mean, sure, fill him in for man for the time because there was a news story today on the checkered flag that broke out that Rossi apparently turned down the driver manner for the rest of the season. Apparently, they offered Which he it to should. Him. He has yeah. leverage. He's an Indianapolis 500 champion. If there if Formula yep. if there are no better teams in Formula One that he can get a seat with, make your career in IndyCar. Don't worry yeah, about yeah. don't worry about the peanut gallery that's going to say, "Oh, well, he just had five crappy races in Formula 1, which actually weren't that crappy when you consider the situation." Good. And Rossi is a legitimate top star in motorsport right now in IndyCar, and he will only get better as time goes on. Agreed. And and he also the leverage he has is the past two 500 champions to come to F1 were what Juan Pablo Montoya and Jacques Villeneuve. There, there's no like, there's no like going to a backmarker team as a 500 champion because you just lower the status of being a 500 champion. It's basically the best thing you could possibly win outside of Formula One right now. I mean, look how look how look how greatly the Le Mans win enhanced Nico Hulkenberg's career, right? Right. right. No. Right. Not really. No. Right. <laughs> no. Um, well, so speaking, speaking of Nico Force Dol- India. Nico Dolph Ziggler Hulkenberg. <laughs> Nico Dolph Ziggler Hulkenberg. That works, yeah. Yeah, Hulkenberg is the only confirmed driver at Force India. And Sergio Perez is insisting that he might not return to Force India and that his sponsors may, you know, want him to be elsewhere. Check yeah, he's made, shopping. He's made it. <laughs> He's made it quite clear that his, his, he wants to talk to his sponsors before making any any firm decisions, and he's got every right to think that. I mean, let's let's be real here. Sergio Perez is the number one midfield driver in, in in Formula One now. He is the top of the list, I think, for any team in that kind of market space. We know Sergio Perez is a proven star. And he, not only that, he also brings massive sponsor money to the table, massive North American support. Um, he's the fifth most followed Formula One driver on Twitter. He's the he's like the, only the fifth man in the one million follower club, alongside Rosberg, Hamilton, Button, and I think not even Button. No, Button's got a million followers. I think uh, Alonso is the only other man who's over the million mark in terms of t- Twitter followers. Um, so. That should put into perspective how how popular Sergio Perez is. Like he's pretty much everything you could want in a driver. 
which is why he's often been linked with Renault this season. And very much so because we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. He was going to go to Renault last season, but at the 11th hour, he changed his mind and stuck, yeah, stuck Probably with Probably for yeah. the best. Yeah. Probably a good call on that one. But now a year on, should he make the switch? Uh, to Renault... I, I don't think that Reno want him after what he did. After signing a contract, then literally changing your mind, and now Reno saying... Sergio DeAndre Jordan Perez. <laughs> yeah, and now that Reno... Now Reno seeing how much their power unit has improved, but their team generally hasn't, and mm. now they're deciding to dump hundreds of millions of euros into the F1 program, mm. uh, I don't think they want to go with Perez. What Perez said that basically it's down to him and his sponsors makes it seem like since he has the same sponsors as another driver on the grid, he may be going to Haas to replace the other Mexican in the grid, Esteban Gutierrez. The man called Steve. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the man called Steve who's doing a fucking good job over there in Haas who's done pretty much everything except score points this season. Like, I've actually kind of eased off on Esteban because I think he's been pretty good this year, actually, for, for a Haas team that's still kind of new and he's been very unlucky. I think Germany was, I believe, the fourth time he's finished in 11th place this season, which is just... It just says everything about poor Esteban's career that he just can't score points to save his life, the poor guy, but the Haas move makes a ton of sense. A ton of sense, given that they've got Grosjean over there already. Again, you know, Haas are a big name in North America. Perez is a big name in North America. It goes hand in hand. And you know what this so, means for Haas? They get the Groper pairing. Oh, <laughs> yes! Team Groper! Yes! The Groper! <laughs> Team Groper. We, we better keep that under wraps, because that might, like, destroy the deal. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, we, 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 we may never speak of this again. <laughs> but we've got one other major team to take a look at here, and I think that's going to be Renault itself. And they are in a real logjam here. They've had a terrible season by their standards. Even They knew they were rebuilding this year anyway, but even so, I don't think they expected to have as little as six points um, at mid-season and be ninth in the championship only just ahead of Manor and Sauber. Um, it's, it's, it's been a miserable season where that's concerned. Jolian Palmer has clearly not worked out, I mean, including crashing a car in a straight line, which is never a good look. And then spinning when you're in the points. Uh, Jolian Palmer's had a miserable time. Magnussen's not particularly impressed outside of that driver of the day performance he had in Russia, from going from 16th to 7th. But besides that, it's just not worked out for Renault this year. And... They're considering clearing the decks again here and maybe giving two other guys a chance. And where the hell do you go from here? Do you go for a veteran name? Do you just go for two young ones and hope it works out like Toro Rosso has done? Do you try and go for an established veteran as a brand guy to take your team forward in the middle of its rebuilding? I mean, King, where do you go from here? Oh, it's it's difficult. It's uh, I would say... Renault only know what exactly they want because they're the only people who exactly know their situation right now. And it's basically where how successful you think your team's going to be in the next couple of years. It's like if next year you could see your team as a podium contender, maybe you go for the more experienced guys. If you think this is going to be a more long-term project, then you go for the younger guys who you know are going to be with the team for a long time. And... 
based on the rumors, I, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. I think, like, the, like, the left field, like, out of left field, me wants to say Grosjean and Sainz Jr. Wow. Whoa. Grosjean walks away from Haas after one season? Yeah, he only has, like, why would he sign to Haas for a one-year contract? He only has a one-year contract at Haas when he signed for them. That's interesting. I actually did not, actually, I forgot that he only signed the one-year deal. That's a very intriguing point. Um, Grosjean would be immediately, if he as a free agent, the number one guy in free agency, if he signed up, because everybody in the paddock knows Grosjean is a beast, quite frankly. And... That's interesting. is also de- demonstrating that reputation as well, Will. Signs might be driver of the year so far. Yeah. yeah. Si- signs, the only question mark on Signs is Signs has already signed his contract with Toro Rosso. But Toro Rosso, know how much the Renault power unit's improving, know how much ex- more expensive the power unit's going to be, them not having that much money, want a discount on said power unit, and they kind of want to use Sainz Jr. as a bargaining chip to get a better deal. One of the best drivers in the world this year could be a bargaining chip. That alone makes me <laughs> bad because Carlos Sainz has been stunning this season. He's finally broken out of that shadow of Max Verstappen at Toro Rosso and he's he's having a tremendous season and very quietly got just gone about his business and he's impressing people. I mean, I've seen everyone I've seen on Twitter every race weekend. It's, it's, everybody gives Carlos Sainz a nudge, like, "Yeah, good job, kid." And he um, has magnificent hair. Magnificent. I want, I want, I want to put it out there. It's Elio tier. It's awesome. Roberto Mary tier levels. Of yeah, yeah, it's it's there, there's something in the water in Spain. Clearly, clearly, it's like just it just comes out of him. It's certainly not hair. a stable economy, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very much so. So again, Carlos Sainz is another guy that we, we made a very we made a video about Carlos Sainz going to Renault a couple of months ago on the YouTube channel. So um, yeah, very much so. That could very much be a possibility. Um, one to look out for going forward. Um, that would be pretty cool. Um, Carlos Sainz in a factory team sounds sexy to me. Um, that would be pretty cool, even if the factory team is currently terrible. But hey. You know, it's Renault. You can only do so, mu- do so much with a Lotus chassis that was developed on a budget of 20p. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Ho- hopefully the massive, like, I-, I can't even call this a cash injection. It's like a cash monsoon that's coming in the end stone. It's like, it's like, back it up, back it up. Yep. Empty the dump truck. Empty the dump truck. There you go. It's like, it's like, it's like going through the Grand Tours budget right now for Top Gear's free boys. It's like just emptying that entire boatload of cash on them and seeing what happens. Now... There is one team we haven't talked about yet that's on the opposite end of the financial spectrum. Oh, Sauber? Sauber, who have yet to confirm either of their drivers for next year. Yeah, now, let's be real here. Like, in, in, in terms of memes here, Sauber is basically the dumpster fire. And, and they have been genuinely atrocious this season. have yet to score a point. I had so much faith in you, Felipe! Yeah, everyone did. <laughs> everyone did. Like Nasa looked like he was going to be really good in 2015. Had a couple of he real was breaks really good in 2015, and then 2016 was supposed to be better. And now he's not really distancing himself from Marcus Ericsson, who, to his credit, is actually getting better. Yeah, Marcus Ericsson has genuinely improved despite that whole Monaco thing, which we'll ignore. But uh, <laughs> it's 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 not been pretty at Salba this year. They need money. 
Manisha Kelbourne was complaining just this morning about you know a twenty-one race calendar being too too expensive for the teams. Well, you've been, they've been the biggest. They've been the biggest talkers about money. And I've got to be careful what I say because I know a friend of the show, Andrew Kissinger, will send me more hate mail if I talk about Sabre in a negative light. <laughs> but, I mean, where do they go from here? Do they, I mean, we know Marcus is very well funded uh, over in this country of Sweden and um, NASA is sponsored by Brazil's National Bank. I mean, they've got money coming in. Is what they've got going to be enough? Is there bigger guys out there with bigger wallets that... that, that potentially could put their foot in the door or ask so I remember like Sauber last year was the first team to to announce his lineup they they announced very very early on that they were going to keep Nazar and Ericsson this year not so much so what's to, so what do you think fellas well I think the only the only driver that's like of a high caliber that brings in a lot of money is a guy like Lance Stroll but he's probably going to be in a play for Williams seat which he should obviously take if it came down to one of the two I wouldn't know who brings in the level of budget that Nazar and Ericsson that would be an improvement that would actually be a realistic option for Sauber as a team, knowing that all the... No, no! (laughs) Shut your mouth! (laughs) I rustled Eric's Eric's jimmies here. Uh, King is extremely triggered by these comments. (laughs) Vandergaard. No. Uh, the worst like, that there are three uh, options for 2015? Hey, they could always oh, be back like, Adrian Sutil. They can bring back Sutil, right? Right? No, no, no. Like, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Artem Markalov. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Artem Markalov is like the chaotic neutral of GP2 this year, and he's freaking brilliant he wins monaco he wins the monaco feature race straight off uh and then also crashes at the end of pit wall he's glorious <laughs> yeah and yeah. also there is a certain man in monaco who is uh who recently spent a brief amount of time as a factory lead driver a former grand prix winner won at every tier of the championship mm, friends with massa and ricardo um no just, not him not him. I think Anyone you know the him. guy. <laughs> no. It's your lucky number. Pastor Maldonado. Oh, I love that Arjun just turned into Chris Jericho. I love that Arjun like, just turned into Chris Jericho right there. It's like, Pastor. Bring him back. Bring back Pastor Maldonado. The, the, the entertainment. Like, to be, like, o- to be honest, I-, I didn't know I wanted this until now. But I think my dream sovereign team would be Markalov and Maldonado. We're going to inject oh, the Formula One World Championship with a lethal dose of driver incidents. <laughs> God, help of, all. God help us all. Think of the mar- think of the marketing money Sabo made by having crazy Artem Markov and crazy Pastor Maldonado as teammates. But then I think about the repair bills, and then I think, oh, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> so that's pretty much the F1 landscape in the nutshell. Pastor, think of, think about it, think about it. Come but, back. Uh, we'll, but, uh, <laughs> come back. Come back. Bring bring him back. But then we've got IndyCar. And the other side of the coin here now. I, for what it's worth, fellas, feel free to correct me on this one, but I don't think Penske are going to change. I mean, the only real risk you've got there is if 
and Penske decides to drop Montoya, and I don't think he's going to do that. I think no. he'll give Montoya the benefit of the doubt for this year. Um, like Montoya said, he's unsure. He's 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 been very open about it. As he said that you know he wants to continue driving Indy cars with Penske. But the only issue is whether Penske wants to let him go. He made threats that his worst performing Penske would be cut at the end of the season. But then I also remember Roger Penske is an incredibly loyal man. He doesn't normally cut people straight up. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I feel like Penske's going to keep their main four going for I mean, I mean, what a fleet of drivers they have already in, right. in power. Castro Neves, Pagano has had the breakout year of breakout years. And then Monty, who is still Monty, who's still an excellent driver on his day. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but that's that's, that's the impression I get. No, I, I feel the same way. Ryan, how about you? Uh, I feel com- the same way, too. I, I think it's... I think Penske shouldn't be the team we're looking at. I think it's more Ganassi, maybe Andretti. Uh, Smith-Peterson. Maybe Smith-Peterson. Like, Sam Smith has already been fairly confident that he wants both his guys back. Yeah, we we know that Hinchcliffe has big sponsors, and that's the reason to keep him at SPM. Um, I'll, I'll run it down through the top to the bottom. Let's go Chip Ganassi next real quick. Chip Ganassi, again, Dixon will be kept. It's a matter of sponsorship. That, that may or may not be a problem, but Dixon is Dixon. There's no way you cut him. Canaan's had his name thrown around a lot this year, but on sheer performance value... Kanan's got to stay because Kanan's is actually having a very, very good season this year. And again, for the sake of consistency, I know people have rumored that, you know, maybe it might be in the best interest to keep Kanan for another year because of his sponsor, NTT. Um, which, you know, having that consistency in the brand now might be the best decision going forward, unless they have Taylor Swift on the car again, and nobody really wants that. Right. <laughs> but right. um, Yeah, I think the only um, at-risk seat at Ganassi that I could probably think of, if Chilton. maybe Chilton, maybe Kimball. I know they bring money, which Ganassi needs to justify keeping those two extra teams, but are they doing enough to justify it on performance? Who knows? Charlie Kimball. I think Kimball's Kimball, actually been, Kimball, I think Kimball's Kimball been pretty is good Kimball is decent. Is decent good enough for Ganassi going forward after they've been impressed with Felix Rosenquist, who's driven fantastically in Indy Lights on road and street courses. Let's talk. Let's not talk about his ovals, but but on road and street courses, he has been lights out like him and the top three in the Indy Lights right now. Santiago Urrutia, my boy, Dean, uh, Dean Stoneman, my other boy and Ed Jones. All four of those guys are worthy of IndyCar drives starting in 2017. But would you dare drop Kimball for one of those dudes as a project? Mm. Ah, jeez. Yeah, I, I think... Kimball is in the top 10 of the championship right now. Yeah. God, it's That's like... the problem. Like, it's a hell of a gamble because Kimball's actually been pretty good this season. And I think the one that's more at risk for me is Max Chilton. Because Chilton's been okay this year, but he's been outshone by the other rookies, really. Surprisingly uh, good on the ovals. Yes, he yeah. is. It's like, it's, yeah. like he just, it's like it's like he just it was hanging out with like Parnelli Jones and AJ Foyt <laughs> back in the sixties and took a time machine back to two thousand sixteen. It was great. He's been good on the ovals, not so strong on the street and road courses. I think Chilton's the risky one more than Kimball here for me, but 
again, like you, you, I know you, I'm glad you mentioned this, RJ, but um, Rock and Fist has been tremendous in Indy Lights this year, especially on the road in street courses. The man is a bullet round there. He's averaged enough that- points per race that if he didn't have to miss rounds due to commitments with Mercedes-Benz, he'd be fourth in the championship with a shot to win. Yes, yeah. and... And I know Scott Dixon, who, who, whose car was driven by him in the tests earlier this week, was very impressed by Rock and Fist's speed. Um, so, that, I mean, that's about as, as good an endorsement as you could possibly get in IndyCard if Scott Dixon likes you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that could be one to watch going forward. I think Chilton could be in a little bit of trouble, but I, I, I don't think Chip Ganassi will change next year. I think he wants the consistency going forward, especially after the rocky road he's going to have, replacing like, Target I- as a sponsor. Dunking. Yeah, like, I, I know it's not going to be a thing for Ganassi or probably Andretti. It was a, a topic of debate last year when uh, the merge bet- when the merger between um, Herda and Andretti happened that maybe Andretti could field a fifth car. And it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a thing, but with the amount of talent, it really should be on the table for maybe Penske. Like... Penske, they haven't done it yet, so there's no reason for them to do it for next year, but one of the big teams is going to have to field a fifth car eventually. Yeah, I mean, they're running out of options here. There's too much talent for them not to. And like you said, teams are going to haul talent, King. You're absolutely right. I mean, especially we've seen that in Formula 1 right now. I mean, look at the fleet of drivers that Renault have in Sorokin, in Oliver Rowland, in Esteban Ocon right now. I mean, there's, there's, there's legitimately five or six guys that could drive for their team right now and have only got two seats. IndyCar yeah. has the luxury of having four or five, and they still can't fill them. So... You know, and I still think that Joseph Newgarden could still be the number one prospect on the ball for a top team to snatch. And, and I mean, it depends if he wants to stick around at Ed Carpenter for another year. Maybe, you know, being the big fish is what Newgarden wants. But if one of those big teams comes knocking, how could you turn them down, King? Was Newgarden is a stud in every way here, really. <laughs> yeah, it's whether one of the big teams come knocking, which is, seems highly unlikely or whether one of the smaller teams actually decides to expand or try to make a jump in, in performance mm. where, where you know, Ray Hall, Letterman, and Lanigan have already said that they're going to be a one-car team for the foreseeable future, and they're only fielding Graham, so there's, God no, damn it. Yeah, there's no hope there. <laughs> yeah, with, with yeah, Ed Carpenter, uh, I feel like there is potential with Ed Carpenter racing. They've got two really great American young drivers. I think Carpenter may ultimately find that he would step away from being the oval ringer from the team. Um, and I think just, that might actually... Go. Yeah, just... Just let just let Newgarden and Pickett carry that team for at least a year. That's what I would do at least. I don't know if it would ever play out like that. It usually doesn't. Yeah, because Ed Carpenter is not that kind of guy. <laughs> Carpenter is still so let me guess. Carpenter is basically stubborn old man who still thinks he's got it. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I think he he feels confident that he's better on the ovals than anyone else they could put alongside him, and he still wants that Indy five hundred win with a passion. Yeah, God bless him. Um, so all moving on. Andretti. Now, I read, I read a story about this. Um, I think it was from I think it was either Matt or Tony Dezino on this one talking about their team. But apparently, one Carlos Munoz is not very happy in that Andretti camp right now, mm-hmm. for the reason of he's he's giving Andretti more sponsor money than anyone else on that team, and that includes Ryan Hunter Ray, and he's massively outperformed Ryan Hunter A this year 
And I think Munoz wants more performance-related guarantees going forward from the Andretti camp. And that seems like it's like that's a camp where like everything is on fire right now because Hunter Ray has been poor this season. Andretti has been garbage this season. Munoz has been the backbone of their team, and and Rossi has been very impressive this season. I mean, I don't think Andretti is going to do anything here because again, Marco is Marco, and. Hunter Ray, again, is Hunter Ray, still a massive name, massive sponsor in DHL, you know, indigestion jokes aside, I mean, I don't see Andretti making any moves, and it's a shame because I think Carlos Munoz is a very solid all-rounder, and again, he's 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 right up there in the championship as well, yeah. and I think he's eighth overall right now, as, as second-ranked Honda, just one point off Hinchcliffe. So, mm. what do you do for your Andretti? I mean, I mean, you're never going to drop Marco here, right? God. I mean, he, he brings too much to the table. God. I, I like, mm, gosh, uh, Ryan, go like ahead. It, it, yeah, it, it it seems like it's going to be the winter of Carlos's discontent. It's it's down to whether Carlos feels like he's being appreciated there because Ryan Hunter Ray is by far the poster boy of that team, despite everything that has happened. <laughs> despite yeah, Carlos Munoz, despite Carlos Munoz being a complete, like, young talent, like, a future of this sport kind of guy that yeah. he's not being treated like, you know, the future face of the sport. That Indeed. he doesn't, he, he doesn't, he, he's, he's not, you know, on the receiving end of terrible jokes from, from Michael Andretti on television. No, no, and Munoz is still only 24 years old, and he... Is as you know, I think he's a very good all rounder. He's excellent on. He has tremendous oval speed for what it's worth. Was very nearly won this year's 500. That 500 is one lap longer. Carlos Minas is an Indy 500 champion, yeah. and we're looking at him in a totally different light. Right? He nearly won it Not as a 20 year old rookie who was still <laughs> yeah, running in yes. Indy lights. Like, Munoz exactly. is really good, and he's just hitting his stride. But if he's not content with the team, he may go shops elsewhere. And Marco, Marco, I feel, honestly, kind of needs a break from being an Andretti Autosport. It'll probably never happen, but it worked for Graham Rahal in the long yeah. run. Um, if yeah. any one of them leave, or if Rossi somehow gets, like, the mother of all F1 deals that actually works for him, there could be a seat open for somebody like Dean Stoneman, who's in their Indy Lights team and is phenomenal, or Robin Friends, who has been interested in an Andretti drive. Yeah, and, tested, yeah. Yes, Andretti. Michael Andretti has been very impressed with both those guys. Um, maybe one of them leaves to clear room for either Stoneman or Friends, but I, I think I think that all cats. Like the only the only possible thing that could change the situation is a fifth car, and the they only ran a fifth car one time this year, and during the five hundred. So that's like a completely different can of worms. The yeah, run a fifth car at the five hundred. It was for Townsend Bell, wasn't it? Townsend Bell turned out yeah. to be really freaking good until he forgot how a pit lane works. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Andretti run five cars because they need they need a shot in the arm because that team right now is going for a miserable time. I, mean, I think it was Detroit. Did you see it when, when it was Andretti and Hunter Ray and Michael fighting in the pit lane, thinking, like, yeah. what the F is going on here right now? Because, like, Andretti has been awful this season, but Carlos Munoz is proven to be a real star quality name for this team going forward but he's, he's in a it's, lockdown it's, it's gotten to the point at Andretti where they can't blame Honda anymore where no. the top Honda in the championship is no longer Andretti hell the top the top Andretti is not is not you know Marco Andretti or Ryan Hunter Ray it's Carlos Munoz then Alexander Rossi the rookie where it's like 
there's something wrong with Andretti, and they need to address that problem as soon as possible. Especially when you've got a guy like Hunter Ray, who is basically Captain America and has won everything you can win in IndyCar. Like, that should be the spearheaded guy in your team from the start. And, yeah, he's been awful this year. So, yeah, Andretti, like, basically everything is on fire right now, and they need a solution, and they're probably not going to find one anytime soon. And it's not a good look if you're Michael, knowing that in that team right now, Munoz is stealing all the credit here for a, and basically putting a cover on a terrible team at the moment, which is not good going forward. So that's most of the big names taken care of. And I mean, you said it. You said it earlier, King. I mean, RRL are not RRL are not expanding anytime soon. They're, they're happy with Graham Rahal. And, you know, of course, why wouldn't they be? It's Graham friggin' Rahal. Um, I'm glad that Santa Claus greatly approves of him um, <laughs> going forward. I still can't believe Letterman looks like that now. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> like, I love the Letterman just no longer gives a fuck anymore. I think, I think that's just funny more than anything else. But um, He gave straight he up say, zero fucks in his pre-race interview with Ryan Miller. <laughs> that was amazing. That was so funny. Just, just watching two old fucks just have some bants with everybody. That was just fun. Um... Give him a podcast. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, you look at it now. We mentioned Ed Carbon, so they're probably going to roll with with New Garden and, and Piggott going forward, and obviously Carpenter for the ovals. Um, KVSH have got Sebastian Bourdais. I don't think there's going to be any reason for Bourdais to go away anytime soon. He's still solid for them. He'll still win you the occasional race every once in a while because that's what Bourdais just does. Yeah. Are they going to expand, King? I don't think they are, really, are they? Yeah, if they have somebody no. with money, they can expand. Mm. But that person doesn't seem to be rolling up anytime soon, by the sounds of it. No, I mean, no. no. Like, maybe, like, oh, part of me is hoping maybe Matthew Brabham, but I don't it, know if you would be able to get the funds together. Maybe, maybe they'll use that Kickstarter. I don't know, um, <laughs> but um, you look further on through the field for the one card teams. Oh, Dale Coin, Dale Coin. Anyone, <laughs> anyone want to play the lottery here? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I know with Dale Coin, Connor Daly's contracts up at the end of the year, but he does have an option with Coin to extend for one year. It's it's a it's an owner side option, so Coin has to make the d- decision whether to you know continue or not. Keep him. So, Though Connor he is your is best back. asset. Yeah. You have never Connor had a driver said... this good since Justin Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> though Connor And said that one would, race you know... with Andre Lauder in Mexico City 2002. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Though though Connor says he he would look for openings elsewhere. So yeah, Connor's all about the open market, and heck, which team wouldn't want to employ Connor Daly? Because again, he's been superb for Dale Coyne this season. Again, given the team he's in, the fact that Connor has been this impressive, like, like, it's more like looking at it a case of it more than just the results. Because on track, when Daly has had his moments, he's been superb, and it's just a shame that he's on is of a team that's not going to let him maximize his full potential. Um, because yeah. again, in Indianapolis, he was superb. And, you know, obviously St. Pete, he was superb until Munoz took him out effectively, uh, of, of the race on that one. Again, he had, again, he was tremendous in Indianapolis. Um, 
he was great in Ohio. I mean, Daly's your best asset going forward. I'm completely with RJ in that one. The 19 car. I mean, who hasn't driven that 19 car this season? Ennison and Luca Felipe has been in it. Gabby Chavez has been back in it. Um, I'm waiting for the traditional um, Pippa Man performance. <laughs> yeah, Pippa, Pippa's going to be in Pocono, so... Oh, there you go. <laughs> I think yeah, that so just leaves, like... I think that just leaves, like, AJ Foyt Enterprises. They are loyal to a fault with Takuma Sato because he is the embodiment of, every th- of like, aggression to a fault. Um, <laughs> yes. And Jack Hawksworth, poor guy. A great, a great story of him to get up to IndyCar. It has not worked out for them long term. Um, that may be a seat that is open to anybody stepping up for Mindy Lights or who is outside looking in with previous IndyCar experience. Yes, because Hawksworth is currently dead last in full t- in in terms of the full timers. Oh dear, stateless Hawksworth is letting the side down. He's letting Great Britain future down. Future IMSA star Jack Hawksworth. <laughs> That's the positive star. spin. Yeah. Like who, who knows? A year or two from now, we could say Daytona 24 champion Jack Hawksworth. Who knows? Available give, at Walmart. Give Pipo Durrani the seat. Come on. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, if, if Durrani would want to come to IndyCar. Wait, 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 wait. Why would I mention that when Matt single handedly screwed me out of the fantasy championship title? Fuck him. <laughs> I'm against Pipo Durrani for life. He screwed me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, what other teams left? Uh, uh, well, it's just the, basically the 500 only teams. So yeah. not much to talk about there. Hey, maybe Grace Horsport will get a car together for next year. We can talk about Catherine Legg again. That'll be fun, Ooh. right? <laughs> right? Who doesn't love Catherine Legg after the rooms of 24, maybe. right? Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe, no, no, nah, me neither. That pretty much wraps it up for this. Oh my god, we've got two hours plus edition of Motorsport 101. Oh, we oh, made dear. a mistake. Uh, we, we're cutting this down in post production. No, we're not. Um, <laughs> but um, RJ, again, tell the good people about yourself and just plug yourself on the social medias, please, yes. for our own benefit. Yes, um, I'm RJ O'Connell. I'm a voice actor. I'm an occasional motorsport journalist contributing to sites like racedepartment.com and paddockscout.com. I've started up a new project called Super GT World. It's an English language site that covers events in the Autoback Super GT series, which you can oh, wow. watch on Nismo TV's YouTube channel. Um, the biggest race of the season, the Suzuka 1000 kilometers, is coming up on August 28th. I have highly recommend you watch it, especially if you're a first-time viewer, especially since it'll be on demand and you don't have to stay up until 6 in the morning American time to watch. <laughs> it's just like the Suzuka 8 hours and in the bike racing world, which again, I just could not stay up to go through the night to watch the Suzuka 8 hours, but again, it was tremendous. So we didn't mention it on the show, but shout out to Paula Spagaro, um, Alex Lowe's and Nakajima for winning that one for the second consecutive year, and uh, Rebecca James will be very, very happy with that one. Indeed, she was. <laughs> but uh, shout out to those guys. But yeah, I mean, so that's where the Suzuka 1000 race in Gran Turismo came from. Of yes, course! Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's, a, it's the 45th running of the race. It's been a, a Group C race. It's now the crown jewel of the Super GT series. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be a few names you might recognize and some guys that I'm just going to try and like promote the hell out of uh, throughout the yep. course of the next couple weeks trying to build up to the race. Follow Super GT World at Super GT World on Twitter. We also have a WordPress blog which I'm still too cheap to pay for a URL for but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> Been 
there done that got the t-shirt and um, again you can follow him on uh, at RJ O'Connell on Twitter I highly recommend you do he is awesome and he's been awesome and trust me we are bringing him back on more often because he has been superb your first mistake <laughs> <laughs> sorry Johnson sorry sorry Johnson this is where it starts <laughs> you, you um, thought it would be Sarah but you were wrong <laughs> you got the wrong you got the wrong you won't bought it you won't bought it <laughs> hook line and sinker yep Johnson got swerved <laughs> His Chris Jericho impression is so freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, follow him on Twitter, RJ O'Connell. I highly recommend you do. He is awesome. Um, you can follow us as ever. Um, me at Harrison101HD on Twitter. I need to get a new username. Will the guy that's got Harrison101 give it up already? I will pay actual money to make this happen now, you annoying man. <laughs> um, I don't like the HD anymore. It's, it, it brings back bad memories of YouTube. Uh, that's you the thing. go 4K. <laughs> that's a Kraken joke King I'm not, I do not appreciate that uh, but um, again you can follow me on Twitter Harrison 101 HD you can follow the show on YouTube as well at youtube.com forward slash Harrison 101 Harrison God see see I'm still thinking back on my old YouTube days it's at Motorsport 101 on, on YouTube you can search us up on there and if you really really like us you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 please do so there'll be some cool shit and of course if you want to buy some merch you can do that at redbubble.com forward slash motorsport 101 just think of the urls it's very much fun give, you can follow King, of course. give us money <laughs> because why not and of course you can follow mr ryan king as always on twitter at ryan eric king everybody does anyway so who gives a shit at this point <laughs> <laughs> but uh until next time thank you very much for listening i've been andre harrison He's been Ryan King and, and, and RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. <laughs>